Ladies and gentlemen, here to sing America the Beautiful, four-time Grammy Award winners, and Philadelphia's own Boys to Men! Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to March of 1999 to bring you volume one of this month's show. Not only is it volume one of March 1999, but it is our 200th show of uh, the entire run. So we've made it to 200. Thank you very much. It's well deserved. The applause for everyone who's been involved with the project in and out over the years. And, uh, yeah, this is show 200. Rory, we got there. We did get there. Uh, how long has it taken us? Five and a half years and we're up to the big 200. Some might say we're just getting started, although this show might end us early, but let's find out. Uh, as always, we've got the three volumes for you this month. And, uh, naturally, with WrestleMania, WWF is taking the top billing. Uh, WCW does come in as volume number two with Yes. Hogan versus Flair again at Uncensored. And ECW rounds off the month with volume three, where we'll have a full review of Living Dangerously. Uh, joining me for the fir- my first journey back to WrestleMania for the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, we have, I've already mentioned him, Rory McNamara. Rory, how are we doing? I'm all right. It's show 200. It's WrestleMania. It's, yeah. <laughs> and joining us, we have Eric Landstrom. Eric, good to have you on as always. How are we doing? Chris, be careful. These WrestleMania roads can be especially bumpy. I believe you uh, have some headlines to get us started on our road to WrestleMania, Eric. Yes, WrestleMania 15, the showcase of the mortals. It was dubbed the raging climax, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you finish that sentence yourself, everybody. Yes, WrestleMania 15 took place at the end of this very month in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And how can I put this mildly? It was really quite shit, to be honest. It didn't did at least end the right way with Stone Cold Steve Austin, everybody's favourite, winning the World Wrestling Federation title from The Rock pretty cleanly. But otherwise, it was uh, a bumpy road indeed for the two and a half hours, and we will break it down, though, match by match by painful match a bit later on. The Raging Climax. How about Girls on Film? <laughs> I didn't just throw this together. Uh, yes, the WWF are very pleased with the way that people are reacting to the, let's say, the women-led segments on Raw over the last few months. There's been talk through this month of them bringing in a brand new show dedicated only to the women participants on something called the UPN Network, which is new to me. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a broadcast network in the States, but it's it's a uh, far less uh, reaching uh, network than your ABC, NBC, CBS. So it's a, it's an upstart national network. So it's probably a good place to start a pilot show, which is going to air on April the 29th. Uh, We don't know much about it at this stage, I'm afraid. We haven't even got a name for it. All we do know is that it's going to be, and I quote, focused on the women. And we will, if we can get a copy of that tape next month, review it for you. If it's suitable for review and view and suitable for both review and viewers of a non-nervous disposition, of course. The Raging Climax, how about in a hotel, a motel or a Holiday Inn? I wish I hadn't given you that raging climax line now. Yes, uh, those of you with either long memories will recall that back in August last year, we talked about the WWF buying the Debbie Reynolds Hotel. 
Well, some say it's going to be a restaurant, some say it's going to be a cafe, some say it's going to be the first of 20 WWF-themed restaurants opening in the United States. There was some talk about them building a live ring into one of them, but that doesn't look as though it's going to be feasible. It's also quite possible at this point that um, it could be played up as an angle on television. But Debbie Reynolds Hotel was bought a few months ago. The original building is still there. There's talk of possibly having Steve Austin demolish it as part of an angle on TV to enable them to build the damn thing properly. But the plans for the WWF Entertainment Complex, at least as they stand, are the not-at-all-grand suggestions of, and I quote, a 50,000-square-foot casino, a 750-seat showroom, the aforementioned WWF-themed restaurant, a gift shop, a coffee shop, a buffet, snack bars, a cyber cafe, to watch the women's shows on, I'm sure, a swimming pool, and a health club. The hotel element is expected to open in mid-2000. Luna eclipsed. Yes, Luna was fired from the WWF last week for a series of rather bizarre outbursts and a few tantrums. Got into an argument with Sable and Mark Merrow. Yes, he's still hanging around, albeit off-screen, as a pre-event buffet at an arena last month. And earlier this month, she got into an argument after uh, with Jackie and Ivory after they had a match against each other. We're not entirely sure what the argument was about. But one thing we do know, uh, Luna and Jackie were actually travelling together afterwards, and Luna kicked her out of her car. In true Scott Steiner fashion, you might say. Uh, she was then confronted by Jack Lanza and sacked in no uncertain terms. Although her real-life husband, Gangrel, that is Dave Heath in real life, is still very much hanging on, but he is not very happy with the way his wife has been treated. The Acolytes, Prophets of Rage. You're quite hostile. So... Public Enemy, as you know, if you are, again, a long-time listener to these shows, they like to run their mouth. They like to let everybody know that they're about. Officially signed a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of weeks into February, had a few matches on Raw, and already they've been getting rather big for their britches. They were due to job to the Acolytes on Raw at the start of March, and they put up a bit of a fuss about that. So, with that in mind, and the fact that they are already extremely unpopular backstage we had eric and we will discuss this one what can only be described as a televised massacre on heat on the 7th of march where in barely a working fashion the acolytes were sent out there and with no little glee utterly destroyed rocco rock and johnny grunge unprotected chair, chair shots are plenty power bombs through the table with no mean or recourse for human safety and a million other things besides so that's the first thing we're going to discuss in this show right now. This went uh, just a little bit too far, did it not? This was... It was strange to watch because it, these when hardcore matches are done well, they can look brutal and they can look uh, stiff, but hopefully everybody's at least getting their hands up or whatever. And, you know, Televised Massacre may be taking it a step too far, but this was this was weird. Um, you don't typically see matches like this that are this stiff ever on uh, in the Fed. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on with this, and I, I haven't caught up with the news as to why this may or may not have happened or what any repercussions were for anybody. But, yeah, this was just very strange to watch. It, you know, it was on heat, so maybe not everybody caught it. But if you haven't seen it, if you can, uh, go back and take a look at it and just, just very weird stuff here. What do you think, uh, Chris? Yeah, I mean, just completely out the norm of what you expect to see on 
WWF programming really uh, in this day and age and uh, just uncomfortable viewing. Um, some of the quotes that have come out sort of around it where specifically about the table spot, how like apparently the public, public enemy tried to say like, we don't like the table spot, we're not doing it. As the Acolytes music started playing to come down to the ring, which I think just pissed everyone off and probably didn't do them any favours. And apparently Jerry Briscoe was there because, I mean, I don't know if Vince is hanging around for Sunday Night Heat or not, but uh, Briscoe was there and he he said, uh, it doesn't matter whether they want to or not, you put them through the table. And uh, that's pretty much what happened. Like, just a, a proper beating. Um that I didn't enjoy watching. Yeah, regardless of what you might think of Public Enemy, they're not popular with very many fans these days, and I can understand why. I do think they have a rather overinflated sense of their own worth and abilities. But even so, I don't think this is the way to treat them. If they've rankled you the wrong way backstage, you know, just grab them by the shoulder and have a stern word with them. Now, we have this wrestler's court thing we've heard about. Hey, that was even talked about on air a year or so ago, if I remember correctly. So if that's a thing, use it. You know? don't, don't in this way air your dirty linen in public, where you're, everybody knows you're supposed to be protecting your opponent. Yeah, Farouk, and especially Bradshaw, were not doing that. They just, so I repeat, they were barely working in this match. They were taking the opportunity that was given to them to lay a very real beating on these guys. And again, it hasn't really got a whole lot of discussion because it was buried on Sunday night heat, probably for this very reason. But of course, on this show, not very much gets past us. So if the WWF did try to cover this up, they failed. Ha ha. Rory, thank you uh, for taking us through the news as ever. Excellent as ever. And uh, Eric, uh, aside from this match on Sunday night heat, anything from the news that uh, stands out to you as something that's worth further analysis? we're going to talk about wrestlemania so much but just just <laughs> the fact the fact that they had a two good working female wrestlers on the roster and then luna got herself fired and they have even less talent on the roster now and there's talk of a women's show or a women's league um i, I don't understand how any of this jives with 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 all the separate reports but you know we'll talk about the sorry state of women's wrestling plenty during our wrestlemania review yeah um like we will get into it but you're right to say if if the uh women's title match at mania is anything to go by i'm not sure i'll be wanting to tune in to this women's show The corporation are out to open the first Raw of the month. Vince says he will not show weakness again and fires Kane. China wants Vince to give Kane one more chance. Vince books Austin v Kane in our main event. Mankind comes out and wants to ref the match and Vince says he'll have to beat The Undertaker tonight in order to do so. Our opening TV match saw Val retain his Intercontinental title via countout in a triple threat match with Ken Shamrock and Goldust after his opponents fought in the crowd. In a segment you'll hear us talk about shortly, JR returned to TV as a heel and confronted Bart Gunn. 
In a chaotic mess of a match, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart retained their tag titles against the team of X-Pac and Triple H in a match packed with interference from Deborah and Shane. Tori and Luna came down to the ring for a promo. Sable came down with Tori helping Sable to beat down Luna. Sable left and Tori followed. The Rock retained his WWF title against Roan Dog, cleanly with a rock bottom and corporate elbow. Al Snow came down to confront Rhodey after the match. Roan Dog attacks him and smashes him with a chair repeatedly. Hardcore Holly ran down, only to meet the same fate. In the back, China is concerned that Kane must win or they are out of a job. And then we see Holly beating down Road Dog in the parking lot. We have a match between Steve Blackman and Droz where they both have kendo sticks and the first man off their feet loses. The match lasts for about a minute after a blow to the head which takes out Blackman. Roadhog and Holly are shown brawling outside the arena. Al Snow runs in and they brawl out onto the street with officials trying to break it up. Vince joins Cole and Lawler on commentary for the Undertaker-Mankind match. It's a decent brawl but it ends in a no contest after a chair shot from Taker. He then goes after Vince after the match until Bossman runs down to make the save. Ivory versus Deborah ends in a quick de de Ivory versus Deborah ends in a quick DQ after PMS interfere. And our main event is Austin versus Kane in a good brawl but with no finish again. The show ended with poor White attempting to boot Austin who ducked, so White took out Kane instead. Austin flipped White off to end the show. We opened Raw on the 8th with a recap of Austin attacking Rock on Sunday Night Heat and Paul White not making the save. Rocky comes down and is livid about what happened on Heat. Rock and White go back and forth on the mic before Mankind comes out and offers to ref a match between the pair tonight. Vince instead books Mankind vs Austin with White as the ref for tonight. Backstage, Austin tells Mankind he is going to destroy him. Mankind says if he changes his mind, he should give him a signal. In the opening match, D'Lo defeats Owen in a street fight after D'Lo intercepted Jarrett's guitar to nail Owen with it. Al Snow and Hardcore Holly team to face the Outlaws, but after a minute or so, Snow and Holly started brawling with each other. Snow hits Holly with head, and Billy pins Holly after a pile driver. After the match, the lights cut and the Ministry hit the ring and attack everyone. Undertaker says Bossman will meet the Lord of Darkness tonight. Ken Shamrock defeated Goldust with a belly-to-belly -belly after Goldust was distracted by the Blue Meanie kissing Ryan Shamrock. Tess defeated X-Pac after Shane ran in and hit X-Pac with the European title. After the match, Triple H vows to humiliate China in front of the world. The Godfather defeated Steve Blackman via forfeit after Blackman opted to take the hose rather than fight. Dross attacks Blackman with Godfather helping Blackman out until the lights go out and Undertaker and the Ministry appear to take out all three men. Triple H and China go face to face in the ring but Kane comes out. China holds Triple H in place so Kane can hit him with a fireball but a miscommunication means China gets hit instead. Tori defeated Luna after DQ after Luna refused to break a hold. Sable beats down Tori afterwards. The Undertaker and the Ministry attack Bossman in the parking lot. They tie him to Undertaker's symbol and Taker vows to destroy the corporation and then she will be his. The corporation eventually make the save and the Undertaker is arrested. In our main event, Mankind defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin via countout after an entertaining brawl with Paul White as special guest ref. The finish saw Austin on the apron in the mandible claw and White quickly counted him out. White chokes on Mankind after the match but refuses to attack Austin. The Rock goes after Austin, but he fights back and tosses Rocky from the ring to end the show. Bart, WrestleMania, you've got a professional fighter. He's going to be going against Butterbean. He's got a hell of a punch. Do you think you can knock this man out like you did everybody else in a brawl for all? Well, JR, you know, I'm not training just to beat him. I'm training to knock him out. I noticed you're having a little trouble looking me in the face. You know, you know, a lot of people around here in the WWF seem to have trouble looking at JR's face these days. 
You know, folks, when my mama died in December and the next day I got Bell's palsy for the second time, they told me that I'd be uh, get my chair back right over there when I got ready. Well, I was ready, Bart, at the Royal Rumble. I was ready to go back to work. And they flew me and my wife out to California from Connecticut. It was going to be a happy day for the Ross family. And by God, we needed some happiness. They told me late on Saturday night, oh, JR, we don't want you to go back to work now. You're not ready because nobody wants to look at your face. Nobody wants to look at you, JR, because your, your paralysis in your face. I had to go back up and tell my mother or my, my wife, I was like, where to God, I could tell my mother that I wasn't going to get my job back. How do you think, Bart, that made me feel? Well, JR, you know, I'm very sorry about your condition, but what has that got to do with me? It's got every damn thing to do with you. Remember a guy by the name of Dr. Death, Steve Williams? The guy you told everybody was my boy, JR's boy. You even called me and said, JR, am I going to get heat with you for knocking out your boy before the brawl for all? Well, first of all, he ain't no boy. He's a man. He's a man. And so you knocked him out. That wasn't no big deal. I think it was a lucky punch in my view. But the big deal was not that you knocked him out. You told all the boys in the back that you knocked out JR's boy. You told everybody that you humiliated JR. You embarrassed JR. Wasn't that a funny thing? I got one over on OJR. And 20 damn years in the business, Bart, 20 years in the business, you tried to take away from me with your ridicule. Listen, look at me in the face and I'll talk to you. What Show you me a little bit of respect, will you? Show me some respect. Because I want you to look at me in the eye when I do what I have never done in my career and that slap the hell out of something. What is he doing, Michael? What? Go ahead. What the hell are you thinking about? What gives you the right to come out here hitting me? I'm not to blame for any of this stuff. Oh, yes, you are. I did my job, and I did it very well. It, 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 Don't you ever lay your hands on me again, pal. Ever. You're responsible for this, and you know Kate, it. Kate. That, 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 that's Dr. Death. Look out! Oh, that's Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Listen, listen to JR. This is, I don't get it. JR's telling Dr. Death to stomp his ass. Oh, JR! Please, JR! What, what's he doing? King JR! Told Dr. Death to stop Bart Gunn's ass. How do you feel now? Are you much better now? How do you feel? Jim Ross returned to a great ovation, and uh, it was genuinely quite a heartwarming moment. We got a great pop, and people were very happy to have JR back. Uh, he then introduced Bart Gunn uh, before asking Bart Gunn in the ring if he thought that he could knock out Butterbean at WrestleMania. Uh, JR noted that Bart seemed to have a bit of trouble looking JR in the face and uh, obviously relating this to his Bell's palsy attack that he suffered in December. Um, he said that he'd wanted to return to work at the Royal Rumble but was told that no one wanted to see his face. Bart Gunn asked what this has to do with him and JR says that it has everything to do with him. 
JR says Bart bragged about knocking out JR's boy when he defeated Dr. Death Steve Williams in the brawl for all last year and demands that Bart look at him while he's talking to him and slaps him. Bart steps to JR, but Dr. Death runs in and beats Bart down. Following week, JR's back, and this time he invites Michael Cole in the ring. So the storyline that uh, Michael Cole explains to us before getting into the ring is that uh, not only was this Bell's palsy attack brought on by the untimely death of, of JR's mother, but as Michael Cole puts it, the embarrassment of Dr. Death being knocked out by Bart Gunn in Brawl for All last July. <sighs> JR has a bag with a red gear and a mask and he says that this is what creative wanted Dr. Death to wear and it's the biggest pile of crap he's ever seen in the business he takes the mic and asks Cole when he first got to the WWF who was the guy who came to Cole and said if there's anything you need come to me JR said he worked overtime to make sure that Cole was ready for TV but Cole went to the boys and the executives and said that JR's face would never recover and he would scare small children JR hit the low blow and goes back to ringside joining King on commentary. The following week, JR, he sets up a second announce table and he has Steve Williams there as his bodyguard, spending the majority of the show talking over Cole and Lawler. And then the final Raw before Mania, he's at a frat party. So a very eventful few weeks for JR heading into WrestleMania. Um, obviously, it's wonderful to have him back on our screens and have his voice back with this product. But, Rory, what do you make of this first few weeks back? <laughs> we were unpack, indeed. Unpack that. <laughs> have fun. Easy, easy peasy. I'm a pro at this game. I've been doing this for three and a half years. <laughs> this might be one of my uh, gravest challenges, actually. But, again, as ever, I shall do my best. Right, so we were indeed all very pleased to see JR come back, were we not? The crowd very much were the first edition of Raw this month. Huge ovation, and quite rightly so. First off, I just want to make this point. A lot of people have said, uh, online, etc., that the WWF actually over-exaggerating JR's condition physically. Some people saying a lot of extra makeup has been applied. Some are even saying that he's had to take extra... Extra bouts of Novocaine to make it look like his face really is numb on one side. But believe me, guys, he has not fully physically recovered from his very sad and very real bout of Bell's palsy from three months ago. So let's bear that in mind first. Okay. This is not the first time we have seen JR try to go heel via a work shoot promo, is it not? I seem to recall in the darkest recesses of my mind something very similar back in September 1996. And we all know what the eventual conduit and reason was for that. Something I do not particularly want to dredge up again. Chico. So. JR is a heel again, okay? From a very real situation. And he turns heel by bringing out Bart Gunn. By having a scripted go at him for winning a real fight against a guy who was brought in to be put over seven months ago and then gets laid down via a worked beating leading to the next week where JR then talks about what creative, because yeah, we love hearing that word mentioned on WWF television, then had planned for this character. Oh, it's just too much. It, it goes back to what we were talking about really 
July, August time with the WWF are bringing in far too many shoot terms on their television programming. They're doing it again here and they are not, I hate seeing it at the best of times with anybody, but when it's Jim Ross who people just want to see get back behind the commentary desk, you're over egging the pudding massively. And as you, you know, warm me up by saying there, Eric, there's so much to unpack here when nobody really cares about this particular storyline anymore. Now, they just want to see good old JR back the very best he can be, full health commentating, especially when we all know what the alternative is. So this was way too much. And also an interview with JR for the website, again, very much out of character interview. He didn't say so in as many words, but you can tell he's not particularly happy by playing this character, and I'm not particularly happy seeing it either. I was about to say that by the end of the month it was dropped and it is just back to good old JR again after what happens at Mania. But then the next day on Raw, he's healed JR with Steve Williams as his backup again. Get it? No, I don't think I do either. Eric, over to you. Poor Steve Williams. Um, I, I don't know. He has a job, but Jesus, he seems, this seems so, he, how, how can somebody recover from being associated with a storyline being second to an announcer who suffered a real, this is just, it's so bad. And by the end of the month, Steve Williams is laying down for Bob Holly and Al Snow and, and he went, he is wearing the gi that JR said that they were going to make him wear to embarrass him. And so he lost that argument, I guess, too. So it as uncomfortable as ever, as uncomfortable as everything that went on with JR. And it was incredibly uncomfortable and there's no way to, to slice it. And the fact that they maybe played it up, added extra makeup. Uh, they had him, filmed in the shadows a little bit at one point before he came out to reveal his face. It was just disgusting. Um, and then to have him be the heel in a storyline that's going to, that's already essentially buried Bart Gunn further than he could already be buried um, has go, is going to lead to the burial of Steve Williams. If that hasn't happened yet has diminished Jr. again um, after suffering, what could make him a very sympathetic character for life. Um, it's just done nobody any good at all. No, I think you sum it up really nicely. It's just negatives all around here. Really difficult. Aside from the fact that JR's back on our screens in some capacity, but I mean, if Michael Cole's still going to be doing our commentary, then I'd, like, this, this, oh, I, I don't know. I just don't know. You could... It would just be so much better if JR was just sitting next to King, commentating. Michael Cole was no longer on my TV screen. <laughs> so, we need. so just jump ahead briefly at Mania when we actually have JR and King for the main event. It's like JR never left. Oh, yeah. How it should be, right? But they just added all this nonsense to it. And this looks like it's still going on. And th that spoke volumes to me in that they must know how garbage this is. It's like some <laughs> the main event of Mania. They like it, JR's there, and it's like none of this has happened. None of this is going on. It's just JR doing the commentary of the main event of the biggest show of the year. 
completely they normal. They don't even mention the storyline. Cole just introduces it matter of fact, and there you go. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Look, they cram so much shit into Raw that we do not need an announcer storyline crammed in there amongst all of that. It's it's too much. It's just too least much. of all when it's JR and Michael Cole is doing commentary. <laughs> I'm going to keep on this point because Michael Cole is horrendous. Who is going to support Michael Cole in this particular feud? Not not even his mom is going to support him. <laughs> no. Oh, it's just terrible. It's really bad. Terry, Terry Terry Taylor was better. Terry Taylor was better. <laughs> right uh, on to another point of discussion so after a fun but ultimately inconsequential brawl with kane on the first raw of the month stone cold steve austin followed that up with the second on the second raw of the month with a singles match with mankind and uh he lost this match via count out and he had paul white as the special guest referee this led directly into a big tag team match uh, between austin and mankind facing the rock and paul white in which was white's first ever WWF Raw match. Uh, this match ended in no contest, as you'd expect, after it broke down into sort of a crazy, scrappy brawl. And uh, this set up the main event of our go-home episode of Raw, heading into WrestleMania, which was a huge singles match, which you'd, you'd on paper, seemingly assume that they would want to protect this. But we had a match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Paul White. Or I should say, the big show Paul White. We have The Rock on commentary for it, and Michael Cole repeatedly calls this match <laughs> biggest match in the history of Monday Night Raw. So, the finish of this match, this huge first-time-ever singles contest, the biggest match in the history of Monday Night Raw, ended with Stone Cold Steve Austin getting the pin over Paul White with the stunner. Granted, he did utilise a chair about six times, leading directly into the finish. But Paul White, the big show, the new signing to the company, big acquisition, pinned in the middle of the ring during his first ever singles match in the WWF. Preposterous. Eric, can you explain this to me? I'm guessing not from from that. I'm, you're, it's one of these... There's so many of these so far this year where it's just I'm trying... I'm listening, but I'm also trying really hard not to laugh at how ridiculous it is. Starting with David Flair onward, I've caught this bug where there's something going on with 1999, but it's preposterous. He is so clearly, visually, like the perfect foil for Austin for like a year. And they just beat him on Raw in eight minutes before WrestleMania. He's done. There's no more value in him as any sort of main event threat or bill, uh, uh, billable star. Good job. Unbelievable. Rory, any any hope from you more so than Eric? Is, is Paul White done? Uh, ever the voice of hope on these particular broadcasts. The only thing I will say about this that is remotely positive is what it did for the Federation leading into Mania. The 15-minute segment that involved the match itself and the brief post-match angle polled a 7.7 .7 rating, which is the highest for any Raw segment we have ever seen in the 
six years Raw has been on the air. There, that's it. I'm done saying good stuff about it. If you can poll a 7.7 rating for it on television, then you can do an almighty buy rate with it on pay-per-view. Can you not? We already said last month in depth what a utter goofball they made poor White look during his debut. But it was salvageable at that point. Now, I'm not sure I even would have had him have too much interaction with Austin. Certainly not yet. Just have him start right at the bottom. Just squash guys, left, right and centre. Whether they're face, whether they're heel, he just mows through guys. Then in a couple of months' time, he beats up Austin, lays down a challenge, he's undefeated, and there is your SummerSlam main event carved in stone. And as Eric has intimated, you can even do it again at WrestleMania 16 if you really want to. No reason why you couldn't. Two big pay-per-view matches. But instead, he loses completely cleanly the week before Mania 15. And the chair shots, you know, they don't cover the loss at all. In this day and age, in the way that matches are scripted and carried out, if you were hit with a chair six times and then pinned, that is a clean loss. <laughs> what match doesn't end in chair shots these days, you know? So if that was actually put in there to protect White in any way, shape or form, then it failed miserably. It's just horribly counterproductive. Now, we talked about it again last month. Vince's old school mentality, somebody coming in from another territory, having to pay their dues, etc. I thought, again, hope against hope, that he'd already done that by making him look idiotic in the main event last month. But how wrong I was. This was just a stupid, stupid move. And just because he's the guy from WCW, it's petty in the extreme. And it's only going to cost them, literally. Well, at least we have WrestleMania and this big singles match with Mankind where Paul White can go in and get a big dominant convincing win over a former WWF champion and come out looking strong with a bit of credibility. Right, guys? That's right. Tumbleweed sound going in. The Rock opens the show, vowing to prove that he is the Great One at WrestleMania. Rock demands proof that the big show is not working with Austin. Vince says that Dwayne needs a reality check and should be grateful for all Vince has done for him. Paul White comes out and manhandles Vince. Vince books Rock and White versus Mankind and Austin tonight. We have a vignette for Beaver Cleavage. In our opening match, Road Dog defeated Val Venus for the Intercontinental Belt after a DDT out of nowhere. Billy Gunn congratulates his partner. Shane McMahon cuts a promo on X-Pac, promises to beat him one, two, three, kid. Shane then defeats the Legion of Stooge in a handicap match after hitting both Patterson and Briscoe with the European title belt. We have the continuation of Taker taunting Vince and Shane. We see Taker waiting outside their home for when she comes home. JR comes out and starts commentating on the show at a new announce table with Steve Williams as his bodyguard. Owen and Jeff Jarrett defeat the public enemy after Jeff hit Johnny Grunge with his guitar to retain their tag team belts. Shane offers to call the posse to deal with the ministry after the police offer no help for the McMahons. On the phone, Taker asks Vince, do you know where your family is? We had a no contest in a steel cage match between the big boss man and Midian after the corporation come out to attack Midian. Vince threatens to have him destroyed unless Undertaker leaves his home, but the Undertaker says this will not affect his plans. <laughs> no kidding. In a promo segment, Tory challenges Sable to a match at WrestleMania and Sable accepts. We have a vignette hyping up the posse. Billy Gunn defeated Hardcore Holly for the Hardcore title in your typical WWF Hardcore match. 
Triple H and Kane is announced for Mania by Michael Cole before both men come out and brawl around the ring. Vince comes out to ask for Kane's help, but he unmasks to reveal himself as The Undertaker. The lights go out and when they return, The Undertaker has gone, but we hear his voice telling Vince he can be anywhere. Our main event is indeed Austin and Mankind going to a no contest in the tag match v The Rock and Paul White, White's first ever Raw match. The show ended with a wild four-way brawl between all four men. The go-home episode of Raw starts with The Rock coming out with the McMahons. Vince says Rock is the referee in the main event of Austin v Big Show tonight. Mankind interrupts and challenges Rock to a match, with the winner having the right to be the ref for the main event. A document from Commissioner Michaels makes it official. Austin then arrives driving down to the ring in his coarse light truck and spraying everyone in the ring with beer. Brilliant. Jarrett and Owen and the Brood ends in a no contest when Public Enemy run in and the teams combine to beat them down. Deborah is on the receiving end of a bloodbath to end the segment. Roadhog and Billy Gunn title for title. After all the contenders for both titles run in means it ends in a DQ though. The Blue Meanie calls out Ryan, proceeding to try and grab her and spank her. Ken hits the ring to make the save but he is attacked by Goldust. Sable defeats Ivory with the Sable Bomb in her tune-up for Mania. Tori runs in afterwards to briefly fight with Sable. In a match to determine the referee of tonight's main event, Mankind defeats The Rock via DQ when the Big Show interfered, with the ref seeing Big Show hit Mankind with a chokeslam. Next match is scheduled to be Kane v Goldust, but Goldust pulls a bazooka out of his robe and hits Kane in the face. Goldie removes the robe and wig to reveal it was indeed Triple H. X-Pac is beating up Shane until the posse run into turn the tables. The posse and Shane bail before X-Pac can get revenge. Vince is out and promises there is no chance in hell that, again, Austin will be the WWF champion come Mania. Austin pinned the big show Paul White after a Stone Cold Stunner. Yep, that's exactly what happened. But after the match, The Rock attacked Austin and left him laying with a rock bottom. It's a Greenwich Street fight. X-Pac oh. versus Shane McMahon. They'll meet in six days at WrestleMania for the European title in the ring. It's but tonight, it's where Shane McMahon it's wants It's about 36 it. degrees outside there. Shane's already out there waiting on X-Punk. Oh, this is great. X-Pac now heading for the alleyway. Set to take on Shane McMahon in what's been deemed a Greenwich Street fight. And there's Shane, and here we go. Look at that gutsy Shane. He's ready for him. Get him, Shane. Oh, watch yourself, Shane. Oh, what a kick. Oh, my God, he's on concrete. King, I'll tell you what, it's freezing cold out there. Wait a minute. Look at him. the hell? Look at him. They just jumped. They just jumped that pot. Hey, King. You know who that is? King, that's, that, that, that's the greatest classic. It's the greatest classic up there, Randy. It's Pete Dance. Willie Green. And then Billy Pete. There's Shane on Max Boys from Greenwich. Eric, I'm going to come to you first, and I'd like you to talk to me about the Greenwich, the Greenwich Posse, Shane McMahon and his friends. It just stood out to me. There's so much weird shit that we're going to talk about, and there's so much <laughs> strange stuff with JR and so much bad, just absolutely horrendous wrestling of 90-second matches that all end in disqualifications. And then when there's something different and it's good, it stands out. It's kind of like how D'Lo Brown got over. And it's like how guys like um, uh, like the Cruiserweights in WCW got over. 
but you see something that's just so different. And for me, this Shane's like trying to get Shane over as a credible dick sort of wrestler by bringing in his his Greenwich posse, these other rich white kids who grew up on the streets of Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, I, I just I thought this was funny, and I thought this was fun, and I thought it was no. Nobody's offended by this. This isn't something where the where we're going to be talking about like various groups writing letters next month in the news. This was just good, clean fun that kind of took me back to a uh, a few years ago before everything was so serious and abducty and 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 <laughs> Austin was driving trucks every month. You know, this was good, clean, simple fun. I liked it. One of the lines that stood out to me. Um... I can't remember who said it, but it's something along the lines of, you know, poor kids, they do it because they have to for survival, but we do it for fun. And it's just like, it's just, it's just silly. But no, but he's a, and, and, and it's everybody, get, everybody can laugh at that. Oh yeah. Rory, uh, anything to add on, on the potty? They're awesome. And the thing that makes them awesome is that they are Shane McMahon's real life friends, but friends from Greenwich, you know, these aren't actors. They're not pulled together from any casting couch or anything like that. These guys are legitimate friends of Shane McMahon. I do wonder when they talk up Shane as the greatest thing since sliced bread, whether they're told to believe it or not. Is uh, They probably do to some degree. He's getting them a job on WWF television. But yeah, I love these guys. They are, they're heels, of course, but they are impossible to hate. I love them. Well, and they're analogs to Patterson and Briscoe. So it's just, it's yes. so Shakespearean in its, in its, in its, in its uh, existence. It's fabulous. For the last few weeks, I come out here and I sit here and listen to you spend your little nursery rhymes about Jabroni Avenue or Know Your Own Boulevard. Jesus Christ, son, you better get your ass serious because Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to take his ass to Philadelphia, check right in to the SmackDown Hotel, roll right in to Room 316, and burn that son of a bitch to the ground. Look at me. Take your little glasses off so I can see your eyeballs, son. Pull them off because I want you to look right here. When that bell rings and the match is over, you are looking at the next WWF champion, and that's the bottom line from Stone Cold Sexton. Can Stone Cold Steve Austin is focused? As far as right now goes, the big celebration afterwards. Stone Cold's going to drink a hell of a lot of beer. But I think we ought to share a little pre-match beer right now. Pre-match beer? He's going to break. I'll tell you what. Hey, Stone Cold Jabroni, you come out here and you make your idle threats like you're the great one. But obviously you're not. So The Rock says you take that truck and drive it right back down. Know your Royal Boulevard. You drive it right back. And you check your camera. Wait a minute! Don't call! It's beer! Don't call to the beer bath! Beer bath on the corporation! Don't call! Corporation! A beer bath! You gotta be kidding me! Any time for Austin! It's beer! 
So speaking of fabulous, we have arrived at WrestleMania 15. <laughs> Get that tumbleweed ready again, Rory. Um, over to you, Rory, actually, for a rundown of the results. I'm just going to leave the tumbleweed playing in the background for every WWF <laughs> show now until further notice. But yes, WrestleMania 15, the granddaddy of them all, the showcase of the immortals, the following matches. Wonderful. Hardcore Holly defeated Al Snow and Billy Gunn in a triple threat hardcore match for the WWF Hardcore Championship. Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart retained the WWF Tag Team Championship against the completely thrown together team of Thilo Brown and Test. In a brawl for all match, Butterbean defeated Bart Gunn. In that huge contest you talked about earlier, Chris, Mankind beat the Big Show by disqualification to become the special guest referee in the main event. Road Dog defeated Goldust, Ken Shamrock and Val Venus in a Four Corners elimination match for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Kane defeated Triple H by disqualification, but again, the real story took place after the contest. Sable defeated Tory for the Women's Championship. No story there. The aforementioned Shane McMahon defeated X-Pac for the European Championship. The Undertaker beat the Big Boss Man in a hell, hell, in a cell match. And in the long-awaited, for more than one reason, main event, Stone Cold Steve Austin did indeed defeat The Rock to become the WWF Champion. Thank you very much, Rory. Uh, Eric, what did you make of this show? It was um, one which tested patience on a constant basis. Um, I think we'll probably discuss all of the pitfalls of the show. And um, then I do think as some of these manias go, there was so much garbage preceding the main event that I think the main event came off as even better than it should have. Um, so maybe there is a little bit of balance to be found uh, in, a, in a, you know, thousand foot view of the show, but it was just very, very, very painful at times. Rory, any better? <laughs> Don't be silly. Um, <laughs> the whole purpose of any wrestling pay-per-view, any WWF pay-per-view, but especially WrestleMania, is that it should bring together all the disparate wings of wrestling fandom. Your work rate guys, your storyline guys, your character guys. They can all come together and enjoy for 2 hours 45 minutes as one big happy family. However, this show succeeded, if that is the right word, in alienating each and every group of professional wrestling fan there is. Not one of them would have come away from any portion of this show remotely satisfied. The work rate was non-existent. No real characters got much of a chance to shine, and the storylines were borderline illogical. The granddaddy of them all, the showcase of the immortals. I'm actually uh, representing the work rate group in a class action lawsuit. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) So we uh, kicked off WrestleMania with Boys to Men singing America the Beautiful. Stop. Boys yeah, to Men in 1999. Um, that, was still, that was still a highlight. <laughs> well, we, we did have quite the quick change of pace as we went from Boys to Men singing America the Beautiful to a triple threat WWF Hardcore Championship match with Billy Gunn, Al Snow and Hardcore Holly. I'd rather... Ha- Can we have Boys to Men back? 
Billy's in the ring and he tries to cut a promo before the match, but Snow jumps him and WrestleMania 15 in ring is underway. The three men trade punches and kicks before Holly and Snow head to the floor and Snow whips Holly with a cable. Billy comes outside, goes after Snow, but Al sends him into the steps. Holly rams Snow into guardrails before following up with a suplex. Al Snow gets a hockey stick from under the ring and after a few shots with it, discards it in favour of a in favor of a cooler with a few dr- full of drinks, which he tries to use as a weapon. Gunn gets hold of the hockey stick and breaks it over Holly's back. Holly and Gunn head back in the ring until Snow runs in with a broomstick, which he uses to attack both men. Snow hits Holly with a clothesline using the stick while Gunn grabs a chair. Snow cuts Billy off and uses the chair to springboard into Billy in the corner. Billy and Holly are brawling outside before they head back in the ring and they are greeted by Head. Snow gets a table and sets it up in the corner, but Holly avoids it. Billy fights back with chair shots to both men and he launches Snow through the table. Gunn hits a famouser on a chair to Snow, but Holly comes in and nails Billy with the chair. Holly then takes advantage, covering Snow and picks up the win, regaining the hardcore title after around seven minutes. Rory, what did you make of our opening match? Yeah, see, I think I finally worked out what the hardcore division is meant to be. I hinted at this last month. I think it's now been consolidated that it is basically the comedy title. When the vast majority of your matches are fought under what you would previously know as hardcore rules anyway, and indeed the main events very prominently built as no disqualification, if you're going to have a belt dedicated to that supposed style, then you've got to do something a bit different. But instead of going into all-out ultraviolence, it's pretty much just campy comedy, and I can't buy it. Now, a spot there. These... We have Alf just mocky stick under the ring so the crowd can chant, let's go, flyers. Okay, ho, ho. Gone should never have become the hardcore champion anyway. Just another stupid swerve a couple of weeks ago. And two, you're putting over the heel in the opener with a devil made care chair shot out of nowhere. One, two, three, go home. It's not how you start a pay per view. It's definitely not how you start WrestleMania. And I think they really need to start, really need to start asking themselves some questions about this particular division because it hasn't worked the way I wanted it to. I don't think. I just. I just don't understand why every match has to have either a gimmick or a title or both. Um, And I think when you have mid-card guys who don't really have anything else to do, the trend is to just throw them into some garbage schmas like this. And I'm perfectly confident that Billy, any combination of Hardcore Holly, Al Snow, and Billy Gunn could have a passable seven-minute wrestling match at WrestleMania, which is exactly what this card could have used. And that's saying Billy Gunn could have brought the work rate to this show is, <laughs> is incredible. But anything, anything but this, it's like 
so many simple tweaks to this card could have made it much, much better. But this, we got stuck with a garbage match that makes everybody look terrible. And I personally cannot stand these types of matches because it just looks, like Rory said, it looks like comedy. And I don't think this type of comedy does anybody any good. And I, I I'm really don't know who's entertained by this. No, I agree with you both entirely. Um, I think once you've seen one of these hardcore title matches, you've you've seen them all. They they are in essence the same. Every pay per view, every raw, a bit of garbage, a few weapons, but not in a violent way. Much more in the comedy sense, and uh, usually crappy finishes. Uh, completely burnt out on these matches. Completely burnt out on this title, and. I mean, I'd take most matches that you could do with this roster over a hardcore title match open in WrestleMania. It was just the flattest of starts for me. Um, Yeah, really, really just a dud. You know, I think they thought the Billy crowd were going to carry this sort of match in the open. (sighs) As I say, they only came alive when a hockey stick was brought into play. They were in these guys. You know the crowd they were doing this for. They know what hardcore matches are all about. They've been watching them week after week for the last six years, and it's it's not this. But they can't think it is, can they? Surely not. Surely, surely not. I mean, they've got enough people. I mean, Al Snow himself has come from ECW. He knows what a hardcore match is. Surely, somebody backstage is going to listen to him. It's not this campy stuff. It really isn't. Now, everybody listening to this show knows this. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the thing is about this crowd is that they were dead when the match started. But, like, with Billy's entrance and stuff, they were chanting and singing along. And it it, it was like they they were up for this. And then the match started completely flat. Like, and just, like, a reflection on the decision to book this match, book this style, and have it open your show that you've killed the crowd within 10 seconds of the in-ring product starting at a wrestling show. Sorry, is that sports entertainment, actually? Anyway, we move on. Let's see if we can turn things around as we get a recap of D'Lo Brown and Test. uh, I say winning a battle royal on Heat, but uh, the step was that the last two men in the ring in the battle royal on heat uh would earn a tag title shot tonight so it's just a sort of thrown together team of D'Lo and test and uh, these two would be challenging jeff jarrett and owen hart for the wwf tag team championships we're underway when D'Lo and test attack from behind so we're two for two on this spot opening matches uh owen takes a big boot from test before being sent to the floor of the clothesline D'Lo works over Double J in the ring and hits a nice forearm. Michael Cole mentions, and I'm not actually going to say anything negative here. I thought this was quite a notable like, tidbit from him. Fair play. That is Owen Hart's 10th WrestleMania appearance. Pretty impressive. Test and Owen both tag in uh, with Test hitting a nice gut wrench power bomb before Owen back with an enziguri. Owen looks for a sharpshooter, and but D'Lo makes a save. D'Lo hits a slam and a leg drop, but Double J hits a cheap shot from the apron, so D'Lo walks in 
to a spinning kick from Owen. Owen hits a gut wrench suplex before tagging out. Quick tags between Owen and Jarrett as they work over D'Lo until D'Lo manages to come back with a clothesline to both men. D'Lo hits the lowdown on Jarrett, but Owen is able to make the save. PMS run down and get in Ivory's face, which distracts the ref. D'Lo looks for a powerbomb on Jarrett, but Owen comes off the top with a missile drop kick, and Jarrett rolls D'Lo up for the win. D'Lo and Test brawl around ringside after the match. Eric, thoughts on our totally pointless WWF title match, a tag title match at WrestleMania? This, unfortunately, this match, even in its bizarre construction, had some uh, some seeds of something that could have been uh, mildly memorable. But the the state of the tag team division and just a lack of focus on anything resembling a point to have the tag team championship existing at all, has, whatever logic we have has long uh, been lost on me. Um, and it's unfortunate because Owen Hart is a great guy to have in the tag team division, kind of carrying the load for that. He's he's Owen Hart's never been in a bad tag team, all the way back to High Energy New Foundation versus you know with Brett Yoko, Bulldog, and now with Jarrett. Like it's it's his strength. It's a great strength of Owen Hart, and you've got Jarrett there who can carry a load on his own to some degree. And like, there's no reason why this could not have been a match that could have allowed for some wrestling on this show uh, with any sort of modest build. Um, the New Age Outlaws are, I mean, the Road Dog is randomly Intercontinental Champion and Billy Gunn's laying down in the hardcore match. So uh, maybe we could have had Owen and Jeff against the Outlaws and something that could have resembled a, a, a WrestleMania-worthy tag match. I don't know. Uh, the tag team division is pointless, so I don't know why we're even giving it this much thought. There's a reason I nominated for the uh, Unbearable Shitness Award last last December. Uh, Rory, your thoughts on this match? And deservedly was discussed as well. We've given far more thought to the tag team division than they have. Think about it. This is for the tag team championship match at WrestleMania. And you have a battle royal on the pre-show in which two guys win who have never teamed together. They don't like each other. They only even win then by virtue of two other guys eliminating one another. And there you go. Hey, presto, these two guys are wrestling for the tag team titles at WrestleMania. If that alone doesn't tell you what they think of these belts right now, then nothing will. I think Eric has already talked about what we had in the match quite concisely. If they don't care about this division, then why should I, quite frankly? Let's move on as quick as we can. Let's do that and see if we can turn the tide with a Brawl for All match. Between... Welcome back. Oh, you've been missed, Brawl for All. So we have a, yeah, a Brawl for All match between the tournament winner from last year, Bart Gunn, and Butterbean. Um, I don't care enough about Brawl for All to run through all the rules and... Uh, Quite frankly, they're not really relevant with what happened. So here's what's transpired. Butter being staggered gun almost immediately. Gun's knocked down. Bart manages to beat the count and he gets back to his feet. The action resumes. Butter being quickly closes the distance and knocks, knocks Bart gun out cold with an absolutely brutal right hand. After about 30 seconds, Butter Bean is your winner. Rory, thoughts? 
Oh, I've got thoughts. Okay, unlike a certain <laughs> other boxing match which took place this month, there was at least no doubt about the outcome. And uh, before I try and break this one down, we saw Gorilla Monsoon as one of the judges for this particular match, did we not, gentlemen? Sad to say, he did not look very well at all. But some, uh, It was good to see him, but uh, sadly, if that is anything to go by, he will not be too long for this world. So I need to cheer myself up by talking about this particular match, which was the final act of punishment for Bart Gunn for daring to win a non-scripted competition six or seven months ago. Now, anybody else in that situation you would think would end up being pushed to the moon. But as it is, we've barely seen him. He was humiliated by JR earlier in the month, as we've talked about, and now he is put against a professional fighter in a real legitimate contest. And you can argue about Butterbean's own resume, or you like saying, oh, he isn't really a boxer. He's It doesn't matter. In his chosen field, tough guy contests, whatever you want to call them, he is still a professional at it. Now, a Bart Gun is, first and foremost, an entertainer who just happened to win a legitimate contest a few months ago. Everybody, when they were putting this match together, knew that. And apparently they fought really hard to get Butterbean back because that's how hell-bent they were on sending yet another message to Bart Gunn. People these days like to think we're past the days of the unscrupulous promoter with the balding pate and the false teeth doing everything he can to screw over his talent if he feels that they deserve to be knocked down a peg or ten. But those days have not gone. They're just presented very differently now, I'm afraid. If you know they're going to happen, especially in this particular organization, you can be almost prepare yourself for them to happen. But Bart Gunn and Bart Gunn's teeth, that's no consolation for them. I thought this was I thought this was pretty cruel, actually, very mean-spirited. And again, it's taking place at Wrestle Fucking Mania. Oh, the wrestling business, man, I tell you. I tell you. Eric, over to you. Well, I have a couple of mean-spirited thoughts about this match, and then, uh, <laughs> which are, um, I thought this was hilarious, um, <laughs> and then I wondered, and this is where this, you know, happy 200th show, I did did run through my mind whether Gorilla Monsoon could have lasted just a little bit longer against Butterbean. Um, hey. I just uh, this match being put together was the logical equivalent of saying the best real fighter out of the fake fighters must therefore be able to fight a real fight against a real fighter. Yep. Um, and if this was, I don't know whether this was any anything retaliatory or not, but whatever this was, this was not ever going to end well for Bart Gunn. And um, Butterbean doesn't need to be Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield to win a fight against somebody who should not be anywhere close to a sanctioned fight. Um, this was just, on that level, it was terrible to watch. Pretty memorable. I'll leave it there. Certainly memorable and, and a truly horrible <laughs> knockout, which harkened back to the days this show covered the UFC and pride. Um, really nasty stuff. And Bart Gunn reminded me of uh, in the early UFCs that 
me, Bob, and Tom used to watch. Some of the guys in there just looking completely untrained, zero and zero records going in there, and like you see, like the occasional eight second knockout where like <laughs> yep. a guy with a credible background just blitzes just some dude out of a bar, and it like this was exactly like that. Like it was. This is exactly. Sorry, go on, Eric. No, sorry. I'm just agreeing with you. Like it was just so, so obvious that Butterbean just knew that he was just going to get in there, take two steps forward, and and get a knockout. The the way he just closed the distance and just knocked him out after the initial knockdown was just like it was so routine. Like Bartgun didn't have he didn't have any way of preventing this from happening and it's absurd because if this is in some way like revenge for him daring to win the non-scripted brawl for all tournament like this is the epitome of cutting your nose off to spite your face because Bargan like say what you like about the guys who are involved and and like any credibility of the tournament i mean it's not like they hyped it up to to mean much and they haven't done anything with Bart gun since obviously but he still won a shoot fighting tournament on your roster like so mm-hmm. whatever his credibility is as an actual fighter which we found out is is almost zero um he still won that tournament and knocked out guys on your roster who you're going to push every now and then and you're going to use and you're going to book matches with that you want people to watch. This guy beat them. He knocked half of them out. Then you put him in there with a fighter and make him look like a complete joke. And it's like, oh, actually, he's a mug. But he knocked out half your roster last year. Like, what is the point? Like, if you don't want him. Like, you never wanted him in this spot. Fine. Do what you did in the aftermath and just stop booking him on TV. He just disappeared. Like, you don't have to bring him back and remind everyone that he won. Like, you just don't have to do that because you'd be like, well, that went wrong. The guy we wanted to win didn't. Let's forget about it. But no, bring it back. Humiliate him. But I think you just made half your roster look like idiots. Like, Bart Gunn was the one getting knocked out, but he embarrassed some people last year. What does this say for Dr. Death? What does this say for Bradshaw? What does this say for anyone else involved in that tournament that who wouldn't have lasted this long with Butterbean? What does this say for professional wrestling? It was just as stupid a thing as I've ever seen. Part of me would have quite liked Bradshaw to be in there, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, Definitely. Or indeed, hey, give him a chance. Why not go Butterbean versus Steve Williams? Hey, why not? Let's see if Barkham beating him was just a fluke. I'd love to see JR's reaction to that one. In just the, in the just, and we'll just, rest, uh, fighting in the gi as well, of course. Just, <laughs> and the don't, mask. Don't book it. Do not book it. All that, all that. Yeah, that's that, that's pretty. Uh, pretty it's <laughs> it's so it's so obvious, and yet this card just defies. Everything that that should be obvious about building a WrestleMania card, especially a one match show. And we can all hope that the the right hand that put Buck Gun to sleep also 
put an end to the brawl for all and we will never have to speak of this ever again famous last words but it looks like this is the last we will ever hear of it there was talk when we got to the end of the brawl for all in august last year that it was going to be an annual thing i think even the wwf have learned their lesson on that one so keep those fingers crossed so we've had our first big positive from the show that's that's what we do on these programs chris <laughs> when all hope is lost, we managed to pull it out of the fire before we throw it back in again and pour the petrol on it. Well, speaking of pouring petrol on things, next up we have Mankind taking on the big show, Paul Wyatt, in a match where the winner will get to referee the main event match between The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin later tonight. So we're underway with Mankind attacking early with a series of strikes hitting a clothesline. He comes off the ropes but runs into a big boot before... Paul White hits a headbutt, which sends Mankind to the floor. Mankind sends him uh, White into the ring steps, but White fights back and hits another headbutt, which this time sends Mankind back into the ring. White fires away with some chops in the corner and follows with some knees and a side rush and leg sweep. Mankind ducks a right hand and sends Show outside. Back in the ring, Mankind introduces Mr. Socko to the match and he locks on the mandible claw until a right hand breaks white free. He walks straight back into the mandible claw, however, and this time begins to fade, with Mankind jumping on his back for extra leverage. Paul White this time breaks the hold by jumping and landing and falling backwards, absolutely crushing Mankind. Show sends Foley outside and grabs a steel chair. Uh, Back in the ring... uh, he smashes Foley a couple of times over the back with the chair. And Michael Cole remarks that if Show isn't careful, he'll be DQ'd. In this no D in sorry, in, in this regular rules match, there are disqualifications. So we've had some chair shots. The referee's seen them. But if he's not careful, he will be disqualified. You tell me the logic, listener. Paul White then proceeds to set up two chairs. Uh next to each other and this and he hits mankind with a choke slam through them which the referee deems is enough for the dq i have no idea what's going on here mankind has won the match via dq and he will now be the referee of our main event uh before i come to e-review we have vince coming down to the ring to berate paul white for losing the match and thus making mankind the ref he chugs Vince and he thinks about chokeslamming him, but decides that he's not going to, thinking better of it. Vince keeps it up, keeps berating him, and goes as far as slapping Paul White. So Show turns around and hits him with a knockout punch to lay Vince out. I don't. I just don't know anymore. Rory, help. Uh, you've come to the wrong place on this one, I'm afraid. But... Are you? <laughs> you're not waving. You're drowning, isn't that right, Mister White? But I'll, I'll, nevertheless, I shall leap in, and then Eric will have to come to our particular rescue. Okay, <laughs> okay. I didn't mind the match all that much. I thought that Paul White, in all fairness to him, was really trying to step things up a bit here, doing things like Russian leg sweeps and the big crush on mankind, knowing. And he's not incorrect if this is what he was thinking, that he already needs to try to get pairs of eyes back on him in the 
in the locker room and, or even more importantly, in Titan Towers because it hasn't been a particularly great start for him so far. But at least here, he was giving a couple of clues of what he actually can do in the ring. I mean, he isn't just a big log. Let's let's be honest about that. I mean, the whole reason he got noticed in the power plant in 1995 for starters, because this was a guy who could do a drop kick for goodness sake, and a pretty good one. And I thought Mankind played a pretty good David in this role. The match reminded me, in a way, of uh, Andre the Giant, <laughs> Daddy Dearest, uh, versus Jake Roberts from WrestleMania Five. in that respect. Well, that one had a rather crummy finish as well. Match was okay, but two big points you're absolutely right to bring up, Chris. One, the very wonky disqualification rules. And two, what they were actually fighting for here. And this was a storyline that ran through the entire show. Special guest referee in the main event. Who the fuck cares about that? I mean, in 10 years' time, when people are talking about Austin versus The Rock at WrestleMania 15, and nobody is going to say, yeah, yeah, they fought each other, but you'll you know, remember who the special guest referee was. I mean, that is irrelevant. It is purely and utterly wasting time. Uh... I will talk about the what looks like a face turn in a second, but um, the match itself was decent enough. I do appreciate White's own efforts, but I just wonder if they're already in vain. Eric, your thoughts on this match? The match was fine. It could have been longer and meant more. Um, I as I do as on the list of stipulations that are in storylines that I, I do not need next to announcer storylines is referee storylines. And it, it just where you hit the nail on the head. It's so meaningless. And it, it was ultimately meaningless leading up to a point, And they felt that they needed to use this storyline to pop a match that needed not to pop anymore. Um, with, with mankind coming out, we'll get we'll get there. But it just seemed like such a labored effort to just scoop on needless heat and essentially bury Big Show, Paul White, Big whatever giant they want to call him. Like he doesn't even have a name, and now he's lost on every show he's been on, and he doesn't know the rules uh, as a as a wrestler. He just is he's he's just out. So I'm just wondering why this needed to happen and why this needed to be a focal to a meaningless stipulation. I would have just had White beat Mankind in a match and get him some heat back. Rory, uh, I'll come back to you. What do you make of the sort of post-match stuff with Paul White and this apparent face turn? Well, again... He's done so by looking like a moron. Uh, he gets a bit lucky with the DQ rules. He pushes it too much by trying to choke slam mankind through it. Hands mankind the victory, giving him the coveted special guest referee spot. For whatever reason, Vince doesn't care about that. He has a little bit of a rant. And even then, they tease the face turn by having him go for the choke slam. He then puts Vince down. Vince. Gives us the old bobbing Adam's apple of fear that only he can do brilliantly. I do want to put that on record. Then he has another bit of a pop at him, slaps him, 
show White, whatever, gives him a rather odd punch where he's clearly protecting Vince with his hand while he whacks him. And then he's just suddenly become a babyface, what, six weeks after joining is supposedly the heel of all heels. They consolidated this turn, or at least tried to, the next day on Raw by having him buddy up to Austin, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense either. It just raises the question again. It goes back to our discussion last month. All of the ways you could bring him in, they picked the worst possible way. Bring him in as a face, if that's what you want to do. I mean, this just gives the impression that they've given up on him as a monster heel after six or seven weeks. That is a bad sign. I I don't see him being pushed as a super face at this particular point. I don't see him, well, we all know who's the champion right now. I don't see, well, especially after what we discussed earlier with him losing cleanly, Austin White for the world title big babyface match anytime soon. So if a face turn like this means he's just going to be wallowing in the mid-card, then you have to ask yourself, what's the point? Especially when he is being paid so handsomely for the supposed privilege. It's again, it's a WWF as they do too often these days, raising questions that just seemingly can't be answered. Eric, over to you. Any any more to add on Paul White as now babyface? God. No, that was a sudden, a very dramatic um, turn. It's just weird. And I, no, I don't have anything more to say, but what I will say is they dedicated an awful lot of time to the backstage segments at this show involving him being arrested and interacting with the police and things like that, taking away precious time from WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year which just goes to show how little focus there was on the actual in-ring product uh, in this entire show. So uh, we move on to a four corners elimination match for the WWF intercontinental title with the road dog defending his belt against Val Venus, Goldust and Ken Shamrock. So they pair off with Goldust going after Shamrock and Val uh, sorry, if with Goldust going after Shamrock and Val going after Road Dog from the start. Ken sends Goldie outside with a Hakamrana before teaming with Road Dog to send Val outside too. Even though this is every man for himself, there are tag rules in play here, and Shamrock and Rody are the legal men. Rody hits a drop kick before tagging in Goldust, who hits a spine buster on Shamrock. <laughs> Val tags him. Uh, from Shamrock, but uh, but gets hit with a uh, suplex from Goldust. Goldust hits a clothesline for two. Val blocks a superplex attempt and hits a bulldog for two. And now both men are down after collision in the corner. Shamrock and Road Dog come in and they hit Goldust and Val with DDTs respectively. Goldust recovers quickest and he gets a two count. The crowd wake up a little as uh, Road Dog gets some prolonged offense in until Val eventually overpowers him with some clotheslines. Rody hits punches on all three of the men and celebrates on the second rope until Val cuts him off and hits a suplex. Shamrock tags in and gets the ankle lock on Val, but Val gets to the ropes. Shamrock charges at him but gets backdrop over to the floor. Val chases Shamrock down the aisle and both men end up being counted out. Shamrock snaps. He comes back to the ring, hitting both Goldust and Road Dog with belly-to-belly suplexes. Goldust makes a cover, but only gets two. 
Ryan Shamrock then accidentally trips Goldust. Roldy rows through on a power slam attempt into a small package, which is enough for the free count, eliminating Goldust, meaning Road Dog retains his intercontinental title after 10 minutes of wrestling. Eric, your thoughts on this match? I, I, I suppose this match was fine for what it was. Um, Road Dog has been suddenly thrust into the Intercontinental title picture, which, whatever, well, it, there's too much to keep track of. Um, and I, I guess there's no reason why he shouldn't have won this match. But I, I just can't help but think like the build has been to a Val Shamrock match with Shamrock destroying Val. Um, for a while now, and I don't see why they couldn't have had a five-minute opportunity to do that. The build on Raw seemed to implicate Billy versus Road Dog for the IC belt. At least that would have been kind of a cool idea, have a, a rare face versus face tag team match for a, a two tag team partners against each other for a, a different belt. Not a bad idea. Um, but you just have these four guys smushed together uh, with a tenuous Val Shamrock storyline kind of being lost in the, in the margins. Just kind of another example of weird booking and something that really made something, it was just completely unmemorable, I guess is the way to put it. I remember almost no spots from this match. Yeah, this was a really hard match to transcribe because it was just move, 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 but not like even in a work rate cruiserweight type of way, just spots for spots sake with a little pattern or story uh rory over to you i'll be as brief as i possibly can here a why is road dog intercontinental champion i thought he was going for the hardcore title two weeks ago multi-man match but no real what you would call high quality multi-man action shamrock not being helped in any way shape or form at this particular point uh he tried to do the tactics that I use on WWF Raw for the Sega Game Gear, where I take my opponent out to the outside, I Irish whip them into the invisible wall at the count of nine, and then run back in before the count of ten to get the win. Didn't quite work here. And indeed, they actually even fucked up that spot because he did get back in the ring before the count of ten. Road Dog beats Goldust with a some sort of roll-up, which is a move which Wade Keller rather liked. I have no idea why, because I don't think it's a real one. And again, it was all rendered moot the next day when Goldust beat Road Dog for the IC Championship. I repeat, WrestleMania, the granddaddy of them all, the showcase of the immortals. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the match was fine, but the booking, the story, everything is so convoluted. It's so overdone that i didn't enjoy any of it um it just met was another in the row of this show everything on it feeling like a chore to watch rather than anything that was enjoyable as a wrestling fan uh i yeah yeah really probably should have liked this more than i did but i just didn't i mean we five matches in and patience is wearing thin there was nothing there was nothing to distinguish anything that happened on this card until the main event from anything that was reasonably expected to happen on raw so it just felt like watching oh, yeah. a glorified raw 
entirely. Yeah, there was nothing special about anything happening on this show. For a WrestleMania, I mean, for well, by pay-per-view standards, I know it was just sort of match, 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 but it's so angle-heavy. And, like, the finishes, like, cheap distraction finishes, DQs, like, it's just an episode of TV. It was all it's been so far. Continuing that pattern, um, before we get to our next match, we, we do see Paul White being arrested by Philly police um, and taken away, as Eric mentioned earlier. But we get to the next match, which is Triple H taking on Kane. Uh, before the match, I just this is this is just raw now. Uh, the San Diego Chicken ran out to attack Kane from behind. Kane unmasked him to reveal that it was Pete Rose. Uh, in the ring, Pete takes a tombstone for his troubles. Very WrestleMania-like. Um, well, that's, Triple- that's, that's, that's two WrestleManias. It's happened now, Chris, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Pete Rose takes a tombstone from Kane. Uh, okay. Of all, of all the things you'd want to repeat at WrestleMania, that yes. would be quite low on my list, but this is entertainment, pal. Not, not to defend this nonsense any more than it needs to be, but... This one was more logical because Pete Rose did make a living playing for the Philadelphia Phillies, and those fans would appreciate this stunt um, based on how Philadelphia sports fans tend to go. So I think this one made more sense, but last year's, the fact that they've done it two years in a row, I think is the strangest part of the whole deal. How about it? But by, uh, I'm, I'm reading far too much into it. But like <laughs> By the end of this match, like aren't we meant to root for Kane like he's the baby face like at the end so do we need to have him tombstone in someone who played for the the, the hometown sports team I don't know I'm just so done with this show at this point I was just prepared to hate anything so yeah enjoy my match review guys Uh, Triple H came through the crowd and attacked Kane from behind, hitting a low blow and dominated the early stages of the match on the floor. In the ring, Kane stopped the assault with a kick, but threw Hunter back outside. Kane crotched Hunter on the guardrail before ramming him back first into the ring post three times. Back in the ring, Kane hits a throat punch and a leg drop before hitting a clothesline and tossing Hunter back outside again. Kane then jumps over the top to the outside and takes Hunter out with a crossbody, which actually gets almost no reaction, which I was genuinely surprised by because, I mean, it was messy, but it was different. Hunter counters an attempt from Kane off the top by dragging him down. He hits a knee smash and follows with another knee, which knocks Kane down. China makes her way out and briefly distracts Hunter. He looks for the pedigree, but Kane fights out of it. China puts steel steps in the ring and Kane tries to use them, but Hunter stops him with a kick to the gut. Kane charges at Triple H, who counters with a drop toehold onto the steps. For the record, no DQ for that. Ref removes the steps from the ring and the two men brawl on the outside again, with Kane hitting a backdrop on the floor. Back inside, Kane hits a chokeslam. China gets up on the apron with a steel chair and she says she wants to hit Hunter with it. The ref's just letting this happen. While Kane has his back to China, she gets in the ring and nails Kane with the chair for the DQ. This is WrestleMania. Kane realizes that China has betrayed him and he is sad. 
Hunter then attacks Kane from behind with the chair, hitting a pedigree on the chair to Kane, and China jumps into Hunter's arms. Rory, what do you make of this match? Any more of that negativity from you, Chris, and you'll be on these shows all the time because you'll be perfect fit for them. <laughs> swerve, swerve. Yeah, this, until we got to the ending, I feel like I say that so fucking often these days. Until I got to the ending, this was acceptable by the numbers action. I mean, these two were never going to light it up. But what we got was the acceptable face of averageness. It was just a match, if you will. Nothing to love, but nothing really to hate. Unless you're somebody who comes in with a fixed agenda on Triple H matches. I can't think of anybody who would actually be that these days. But moving on. Unfortunately, the way that WWF matches, WWF cards are structured these days, though, the matches are just inconveniences. I mean, we will talk about this again in two matches time. But you've got a situation where they really were building something, I thought, with China as a heel having turned on DX. And the promo she gave a few weeks ago, I thought, explained her reasons fairly well. And now, just for the sake of a swerve, she's back with Triple H again, and she's a face for about 20 minutes. You know, Just for the sake of turning people's characters around again. And as I say, we're not even done with China turning on the night. It's, it's madness. It's just because things can happen in a pro wrestling show. It doesn't need mean you need to make this happen, especially at WrestleMania, especially when you've got so many people tuning in who only watch one show per year. Now, they don't need or want to be what, with watching with abacuses and calculators and uh, hoping that they're descended from Charles Babbage just in order to understand what's going on. It's, it's a wrestling show. It's the wrestling show for two hours, 45 minutes. Uh, this stuff doesn't need to be brain surgery. Eric, over to you. This match suffers from everything being the same. Because the way this match played out in a vacuum made made some degree of sense. And Triple H and Kane have been feuding, and there's China involved and other parties here and there. And China was with Triple H, and then she was affiliated with Kane, but then Kane accidentally shot a fireball in China's face uh, instead of Triple H, which was what was intended, apparently. Yes, that happened on Raw. Um, like I said, a lot happens on Raw. Um, it all kind of made sense if you just take this match in a vacuum for what it is, but in the context of every other match on this show being booked to some degree, like this match was booked with schmazes and no rules and just no emphasis on in-ring product or really any sort of match with any sort of flow whatsoever. Um, it didn't. Uh, it just doesn't doesn't hold up, um, which is unfortunate because on a better structured card, this match had a had a place. Yeah, it wasn't horrible, and I think you're spot on in saying it's like it's a victim of this show really and the style of match that is surrounding it and I just think by this point if you gave in a very mid card middle of the show sort of spot Kane and Triple H sort of 12 minutes to have like a 
a decent passable match. Like they kind of did that, but then the finish was just <sighs> another DQ. It's WrestleMania. Like I'm gonna probably say it five more times, but by the time this show's done, but you're so spot on in saying this is just an episode of Raw because aside from the fact that this match went 12 minutes, you could probably see something like this on Raw every week. Um, so it's hard to be anything but negative about it when the actual work that the two guys put in, not that it was like particularly outstanding, particularly stellar or particularly hard work, but probably deserves more than just general dourness and negativity. Um, but that's kind of the way this show made me, the wrestling fan, feel. And that's not typically something I always feel. Sometimes I, I, I think I'm maybe too positive um, and not quite as harsh as I should be. But by this point of this show, I saw very, li very little positives. Um, yeah. So we see Kevin Kelly backstage and he is speculating as to what will happen with the referee for the main event. Now, Big Show has been arrested and Mankind has been taken to hospital. Vince McMahon shows up and he maniacally tells us that he will be the referee in our main event. Why didn't he just do that from the arm? Oh, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> yes. I am going to be Lord. the guest referee. That's the, well, That's the only good thing about it. Yeah, Vince is amazing, but like, yeah, I, I have no idea if Vince wants to be the special guest referee in every one of Austin's matches. Why doesn't he just do it? Why does he just not book Austin in matches? There we go. Done. <sighs> way, too, way too much sense. Way too much sense. Next up, we have the match for the WWF Women's Championship with Sable defending her title against Tori. We're underway, and Sable throws Tori out of the ring repeatedly before Tori rams Sable into the barricade face first. Sable hits a knee to the ribs and a crossbody off the apron to the floor. Sable showboats in the ring, and Tori takes the advantage to hit a clothesline before trying a roll-up that gets two. Sable tries a bridging pin that Tori didn't get out of too smoothly, but it is only a two. Tori gets a two off a back backside. Sable avoided a crossbody and Tori hits the ref with it instead. Tori countered the Sable bomb and avoids that. And suddenly, Nicole Bassett shows up. Uh, she looks even bigger than China. She grabs Tori and hits her with a gorilla press. Sable then hits the Sable bomb and the ref recovers to count the pin with Sable retaining her title. Eric, what did you make of this? Um... The problem with match reviews is that when you listen to it, your brain wants to connect all the fibers as as you would want to perfectly envision it. And in a match this bad, it's almost offensive to give it description to anything that could resemble a passable professional wrestling contest. <laughs> and I'm saddened by this because, unfortunately... Uh, Tori, uh, whose name is Terry Poach, uh, is from my city of Portland, Oregon, and she debuted uh, in uh, Portland Wrestling, and I have to own this one, and I'm sorry. Rory, over to you. 
impossible to follow that, so I won't try. I will just give you a Jerry Lawler line from commentary on this one about Sable. She's not your type, Cole. She's not inflatable. That's it. Do you really want me to review the match? Apart no, from... no. That's okay, fine. okay. They tried the Steamboat Flare Bridge during this match. Yeah, you know. Sable Tory, the first thing you think is Steamboat Flare, isn't it? There was Michael Cole's potentially most offensive line ever on commentary during this match, in which he called Sable a tremendous in-ring performer. Yeah, that's... During the, the the wrestling attempted wrestling, he 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 waxed lyrical about how tremendous Sable was in the ring. So, just yeah, just what you think you really know somebody, eh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've turned the corner on that guy. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, uh, we have Shane McMahon defending his WWF European title against X-Pac. During his, uh, his entrance, Patterson and Briscoe tried to jump X-Pac in the aisle, but X-Pac is able to avoid it, and Patterson ends up decking Briscoe. X-Pac chases Shane around the ring and finally catches up to him inside and hits him with a nice spinning heel kick. Tess moves Shane out of the way of a Bronco Buster attempt and Shane tries to bail. But X-Pac jumps him and throws him back to the ring. Tess attacks X-Pac on the floor and crotches him on the post while Shane's distracting the referee. Shane works over X-Pac in the ring with some knees but misses with an elbow drop. Tess distracts the ref this time and Shane hits a low blow before whipping X-Pac with Tess's belt repeatedly. X-Pac fights back and backdrops Shane out of the ring, following up with a nice dive over the top, landing on Shane. Tess hits X-Pac with a clothesline on the floor while the ref is again distracted. Back inside, Shane hits an elbow from the middle rope, then heads up top, but is cut off with a drop kick before X-Pac hits a superplex. X-Pac only gets two because X-Pac is pulled off the cover by Test. X-Pac then beats on Shane with the leather belt before hitting a kick and this time connecting with the Bronco Buster. While the ref's tending to Shane, Test runs in and he nails X-Pac with the European title. Shane crawls over, makes the cover, but this only gets two. Shane tries a Bronco Buster himself, but dismisses and X-Pac hits Test with a spin kick and followed up by a Bronco Buster to the big man. Triple H and China make their way out down to ringside. Hunter pulls Tess out of the ring and China distracts the referee. X-Pac hits the X-Factor on Shane and Triple H slides into the ring. He grabs X-Pac and hits him with the pedigree. Shane covers X-Pac to win and to retain his European title. Post-match, Hunter attacks X-Pac while Tess holds him up. Billy and Road Dog come in for the save and the lights go out and Kane starts to walk down. So the heels bailed. Eric, what do you make of this match? Firstly, and second question, what do you make of the Triple H heel turn? A very swift left turn there in your analysis, beginning with the words Triple H. Um, this was the best match on, on the card uh, so far. Um, and probably was the best uh, match in terms of just an in-ring attempt that this card had and was begging for. Um, Shane McMahon is very, quite surprising. Uh, 
at how quickly he's picking this up. Um, and we know X-Pac is good. And these two just have a have a an energy about them. And they keep it simple. And they know how to pop the crowd. Really good stuff. All the way through. And then, of course, the angle. Um, we've just seen China reunite with Triple H. Ha ha, feel good moment. And then they both turn on DX. And align with Shane and the corporation and so it's an angle the whole thing was an angle on Wrestlemania instead of building to Wrestlemania where we have matches to pay off angles so uh, not a fan Um, don't really understand why they would turn Triple H on DX because they don't have any other baby faces anywhere near the top of the card other than Austin and Foley. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Rory, same two questions to you. Well done, Shane. Credit where credit is due, and it is due here. Much like with China in the tag team match at the pay-per-view last month, He's in there with somebody good, somebody who can, who can really give him a hand if he needs it. And yeah, there were a couple of moments where he did. But again, didn't disgrace himself out there. I think Shane being what he is, you know, somebody who thinks he's tough, but deep down is just an abject coward, plays into who, into his in-ring character. So he doesn't need to be Luthez out there. It wouldn't be believable if he did. But he met all the spots. I did think it was quite interesting until he was being whipped with the belt, much like Big Show with Vince earlier. I thought X-Pac was really protecting Shane on some of the moves, leaving a lot of air there. Because, you know, do you do you really want to be the person who legitimately screws up the owner's son? I wouldn't want to be in that position either. But they got through it. They got through it nicely. The crowd stayed with them. All well and good. X-Pac is a great worker. And Shane... Yeah, should be very proud of himself. I'm sure his friends will tell him so afterwards. But then we get to oh, that, oh, just that wrenching swerve. You know, we're not allowed to feel many good. Just, we're just not allowed to feel good for often in this company, are we? I mean, the pop. I mean, I wasn't too keen on on it as I said earlier, but you can't argue with the pop when China jumped into Triple H's arms. You know, the crowd were happy to want to cheer China again. They only able to do so about 20 minutes of real time until she suddenly goes heel by virtue of being associated with Triple H. Oh, such a killer. But I'm in, I'm in two minds. I'm going to try to put aside my animus towards Mr. Lebeck on this particular occasion. <laughs> Wish me luck. Sure. I would really need to be convinced as to why he would want to leave Degeneration X. Now, he was the one who picked up the ball a year ago. Now, in kayfabe, he was itching to be in that position. And when Sean uh, sailed off to the hills after WrestleMania 14, that was his chance. I don't accept that he would be happy to give it up. But on the other hand, maybe he needed a heel turn. As a face, I'm not sure he was really going to ascend to 
top level. I think there are too many guys above him, too many better guys above him. I still don't see him as a main event of babyface who people can truly get behind. In DX, for as popular as they are, upper mid-card act for the last year or so. Let's let's make no bones about this. Upper mid-card act. An extremely popular one, but not going to be main eventing any super shows at any time in the near to middle future. So, now he's got something else to do. Again, as ever, I say this so often on these shows, but I feel I I feel as a close watcher, I deserve them. I want an explanation first as to why his character has done this. But now he's got an opportunity. Now he's not second fiddle heel like he was to Sean, end of ninety seven, beginning ninety eight. He now looks like he's going to be leading whatever this trope is with him, China, Shane, whoever. So let's see what he can do. So. <laughs> he can count himself rather fortunate, but I'm going into this one with an open mind for now. Rory, if you need an explanation, you're going to hate this next part. <laughs> <laughs> quite. Um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the match, um, despite the sort of repeated ref distractions and stuff like that. Um, it was pretty enjoyable, especially like to still from you erica like if you look at a match in a vacuum if you take this match sort of as a standalone match rather than having all of the garbage before it i'd probably enjoy it even more um it was fine and you are right rory and that shane should be proud of himself um because i feel he held his own in this match as much as anyone could have hoped or expected from someone with his level of background, his level of experience, and his level of training, quite frankly. Um, what I will say about the heel term is when you look at this roster, um, not all of these guys are in this position yet, but there's certainly... When I take sort of the upper 10 guys, so we have number one, Stone Cold Steve Austin, babyface. You'll be a lunatic to turn him heel. The Rock, he's a heel, no doubt about it. But, I mean, they've been, not necessarily deliberately, but seeds have been sown where he will be a very popular babyface somewhere down the road. It might not be this year, might not be next year, but he's too charismatic. He's got too many catchphrases to not catch fire with a crowd. The big show, Paul White, he's already turned babyface. Kane is a babyface. Mankind, he's a babyface. They need heels at the top of the card. And when you look at that list of five, six guys there who are all babyfaces, will have massive baby babyface potential, I don't see Triple H getting ahead of any of them on the babyface side of things. But as a heel, not right now, but he's he's definitely not of the stature like he shouldn't be in there with Austin, say, challenging for that title. But I think he's got a better chance at reaching that level, having jumped across to the heel side of things for now. Um, I think for him, it's probably a really good thing uh, because... With the exception of Vince and 
the Undertaker. Well, I say with the exception of Vince, but we see the next night on Raw. Vince is obviously the heel to Austin, but with all the abduction stuff that's going on, Vince McMahon's not really the heel in that storyline at all, is he? So they need heels, basically. And maybe he could be that guy. I mean, I don't really see it myself, but I think he's got a better chance of delivering at a main event level on that side of the equation. We'll see what happens, because he's going to be feuding with X-Pac now, which yes, it makes sense. Let's let's see how he gets through that, both on the mic and in the ring. When we get to about June, July, we can reconvene and discuss it there. Yeah, I just think he's got a chance now, whereas Agreed. if he had stayed a face, Agreed. there's no way for him to move up that card. Yep. It, I mean, this could very easily go the way of Shamrock. Mm-hmm. like, And we're talking the turn of the year, Triple H just just a guy completely just a guy leaving dx was the worst thing for him um that's a very feasible outcome to this but it could also go the other way (sighs) right here we go bear with me next up we have the undertaker taking on big boss man in a helm in a cell match here we go we are underway and take is in control early until Bossman cuts him off and hits a swinging neckbreaker. Taker overpowers Bossman as they brawl around the outside of the ring and Taker launches Bossman into the cell. Bossman comes back launching Taker into the cell and handcuffs the Undertaker to the cage. He gets his nightstick and hits Taker with it, which drops him and breaks the cuffs. Bossman chokes Taker with the nightstick and Taker is busted open. Taker fights back with a choke of his own before getting a chair and smashing Bossman with it. Bossman is now also busted open. Taker hits a flying clothesline, which gets two, and he looks to go old school, but Bossman kicks his leg and Taker gets crotched. Back inside, they trade blows in the middle with Bossman getting the better of it after a headbutt. Taker hits a low blow and the crowd begin to turn from silent to actively pissed off and frustrated. Taker looks for a tombstone, but Bossman escapes. Bossman tries a clothesline, but Taker ducks and goes for the tombstone again. This time he gets it and mercifully brings to a close the most boring of matches around the 10 minute mark. And that's all there is to this one. Nothing else. Nothing else to report. So if it's all right with you, just move straight on to the main event pretend nothing else ever happened mm-hmm. anyone like to talk about the match or shall we talk about uh, no what but happened we, next? no but uh we uh, i gave well we gave last month the silence eric treated us to <laughs> when he was reviewing boss man versus midian you sort of cashed it <laughs> in there eric but so uh, you're not going to be so lucky this time yeah uh heel v heel battling over something nobody cares about second from the top at wrestlemania between two guys who have no chemistry against each other whatsoever don't make me say those two lines again <laughs> eric imagine watching that boss man midian match from saint valentine's day massacre and saying that's our guy for the match second from the top at the biggest show of the year <laughs> Uh, and my question would have been, wait, Midian? And you would have been like, no, boss man. And then I would have thought you were drunk. Um, <laughs> I, 
this match was a match that took place in a structure that, that's designed for spots, and this match had no spots. They had wrestled a match that was well below average for 10 minutes, and the match ended clean with a finisher in the middle of the ring, devoid of any relationship to the structure that the match took place in. Um, and that's that's just between the bells. Right then, on to the post-match stuff. Just, so, just, just very quickly before that, I will. I've, I've got to say something about this one. Another instant classic, Michael Cole line, talking about <laughs> the dangers of the cell. You can get a finger caught in there. You can get a finger caught. In there. <laughs> you can get a finger caught in there. Hell in a cell. Indeed. Right, so the brood repel from the top of the arena and land on the cell. They drop a noose into the cell for Taker. Taker puts the noose around Bossman's neck and Paul Bearer presses a button which raises the cell. Bossman tries to fight, but his end up hung from the cell. He trembles a bit and eventually his body goes limp. The lights cut and this is brought to an end. Rory, I asked before, but this time you've really got to help me out. What's going on? Hangman, hangman, hold it a little while. I think I see some podcasters riding many a mile. <laughs> Who would much rather be in the noose right now? I'm sure we all concur on that one, gentlemen. We were nearly treated to a hanging. God, my memory sometimes. I just wish I wouldn't recall this sort of stuff. I'm far too dedicated to my craft. That's my problem. A noose was involved during the Chicago Street Fight at WrestleMania 13. Uh, and I remember saying on that particular show, I don't want to see nooses getting involved in professional wrestling angles. Yet again, I overstated my influence on the product because two years later, we see it actually happening. A guy actually being hot. I remember in the context of the storyline, in kayfabe, in the pro wrestling universe, this is Undertaker murdering, with his accomplices, murdering the big boss man. Now just think about that. You know, they say the golden rule in pro wrestling is that when you're promoting a match, you should never say to or about your opponent, I'm going to kill you. You should never say that because that's never going to happen. Well, there we go. A hundred years of pro wrestling law written off completely because The Undertaker has done it. Crazy. Just crazy. And the crowd, again, if you think of a worse crowd to do this in front of, they they weren't buying a morsel of it. And they were in very good company. Eric, over to you. Is there a good crowd to have done this in front of? <laughs> I I just wh what is this on our television screen? What is this supposed to be? And and who is this supposed like who thought this was a good idea? It's just unfathomably bad. And you hit the note right on the head. It's either somebody's being hanged for real, and thus are dead, and the big boss man is dead. Um, or 
it's completely it's just un, unfathomable and it's un I'm unable to rationalize it other than this is just what they do now and it's kind of just take it or leave it television well I'll tell you what a few more hangings like this and uh, it will very much be in the leave it category for me this was a uh, just astonishingly such a terrible idea that i'm shocked that someone would come up with this for wrestlemania no no i i, I retract with for wrestlemania i'm shocked that someone would come up for this come come up with this to do on a wrestling show anywhere any show any any town any promotion let alone that as far as having the idea enough people must have agreed to it that they actually did it like if in the news at the top of the show you had uh, eric you'd read out a headline and rory you had told us that a producer backstage had really pushed for a hanging an execution at wrestlemania but it was nixed by a performer and other executives. But the guy was livid that his idea didn't get through. Like, I like would be like shocked at that guy's terrible judgment. But also, I can take that. Like, okay, people have bad ideas sometimes. Enough people signed off on this that it happened on my TV screen on a show that I paid money for. They just. I don't really know what else to say. It's just crazy. I can't believe that it happened. It's just ridiculous. Can we, can we just agree that The Undertaker is probably the most overrated wrestler in ring performer that there is right now? He is incapable of having a good match. I, I haven't seen one in years. I hope you locked your front door, Eric. <laughs> I, I mean, I... It, liked king of the ring last year and the year before i loved the cell with with sean but they're not like good matches for matches like by the standard metric of a match like their moments and spectacles and half the time the stuff that makes those stand out to me has very little to do with the undertaker so i'm entirely with you there eric I just don't need him on my TV screen in any capacity. And we're, uh, we've got a treat in store for the next night. So uh, hopefully a change of pace and something more positive. We move on just after a, a hang in. I can't get over this. A man was hung and murdered in the middle of the ring. <laughs> and then we just move straight on next match. Let's go move on to the main event of WrestleMania 15. And we have The Rock defending the WWF Championship against Stone Cold Steve Austin with Vince McMahon as our special guest referee. JR is here and he's here to commentate our No DU main event. So Vince comes out to officiate, or so we thought. Shawn Michaels' music hits. Shawn dances down to the ring. He gets on the mic and he tells us that the only person who can appoint a special guest referee is the commissioner. And he tells Vince to get the hell out of here. 
I'm pretty sure at this stage that like on a whip, like just purely by mistake, Sean blew a particularly big line in his promo here because he, he tells it. Vince that you and your corporation are barred from ringside. And he sort of stumbles very quickly and adds, okay, maybe I'll just let you down here. Because Vince is obviously going to be involved in the match in some capacity, so he cannot be barred from ringside. Like, I, 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 it's such a minor detail, but it really made me laugh watching it. I was like, he definitely didn't mean to imply that Vince was banned from ringside, but he did on the mic live in front of everyone. And the way he covered for it was like, right, Vince is coming back out then. Well, and, and, and Chris, like, they've been doing this special guest referee thing storyline on Raw for four weeks now consistently multiple segments of show and all and all Shawn michaels had to do was send a corporate memo four sentences long that his secretary could have put together and cleared this whole thing up and we could have had different things for mankind and, and paul white and frankly everybody to do so Shawn michaels really not doing his job as commissioner here you're telling me that Shawn Michaels, the commissioner, waited until WrestleMania where he could like appear and make a big announcement rather than like the ego of the man. I mean, any and other su- person. And supposedly had to buy a ticket to get in as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, just, just brilliant. So, yeah, after that little uh, just insight from Sean there as to Vince's plan for the evening uh vince heads back to the back with sean but something tells me that we haven't quite seen the last of vince anyway we are underway in our main event and the two men head outside immediately with the rock sending austin into the announce table they brawl on the floor with rock choking austin with his t-shirt before they head back into the ring only for austin to launch rock back over the top rope to the outside Austin follows Rock and they brawl over the barriers into the crowd. Austin hits a double axe handle off some ad boards and they brawl back to ringside. They head straight across and over the barricade on the opposite side of the ring. Rock clotheslines Austin back to ringside and chokes him with a cable. They fight up the aisle and Rock backdrops Austin onto some of the set with Austin landing pretty awkwardly on his knee. Austin comes back and launches Rocky into the boom mic before hitting a clothesline and going low. Back at ringside, Austin hits an elbow drop from the barricade onto Rock, who is laid out on the Spanish announce table. The table doesn't break, so Austin drops another elbow, and this time it does the trick. Back in the ring, the Rock hits a rock bottom out of nowhere for a two count. The crowd here, it should be said, I wouldn't go as far as 50-50, but there was quite a lot of support for Rock. Um, And people were not unanimously pulling for Austin to win this match. Not that Austin was by any stretch unpopular, but just I'd say both guys definitely fell into the popular category. Rock rolls out of the ring and gets a chair, but Austin cuts him off with a kick. Austin tries to use the chair, but Rock dodges and Austin nails the ref. Rocky hits a swinging neck breaker and a series of chair shots to Austin's knee. He follows it with a shot to the head. A second ref runs in to count the pin, but it only gets two. Austin fights his way out of a headlock, but runs into a Samoan drop, and that also gets two. 
Rocky objects to this and it's he hits the ref with a rock bottom. He turns around and immediately walks into a stunner. O'Hebner runs down and is our third referee for the match, but Austin is only able to get two. At this point, in the shock of all shocks, Vince McMahon comes down to ringside. He knocks out O'Hebner. Rock and Vince stomp away at Austin in the corner, but Mankind, who had supposedly been at the hospital, runs down the aisle and makes the save. He sends Vince to the floor. Rock hits a rock bottom, but it only gets two. At this point, Mankind counts the two, so he is now the special guest ref. So Sean, who was the commissioner, appointed the special guest ref as just the regular official. But now that doesn't matter. Because mankind is here counting pins. So I don't, I just don't know. Rock looks for the corporate elbow, but Austin moves out of the way. Austin looks for the stunner again, but the rock blocks it. Oh no, but wait a minute. The rock, yes. You want me to do the other thing? The rock model special. Go ahead, King. I know you like it. It is the most electrifying move in sports entertainment history. Yes. Austin celebrates with his belt and many a beer, with Vince taking a stunner for good measure before we reach the end of the show. Eric, what did you make of this match, our main event, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, WWF champion again? Yeah, I mean, all credit to this match. This this was pretty entertaining. Uh, I think the match was always going to be the, the type of match it was, uh, just because that's just what it's every match on the show has been. And that's what we've seen Austin do in his main event run. The, the, the brawling, the no disqualification, the, the gimmicks, the interference, everything. So you just, you know, knowing that and you can go in kind of thinking, well, hopefully it's at least executed well. And, you know, credit to you and anybody thinking about this on a, a particularly medium to high level, maybe not even that, maybe that's too much credit, but if you just kind of watch this for what it is and turn your brain off, it was pretty well executed, entertaining, fun to watch, and had a the a logical ending. But when you apply any sort of thought to it, yeah, it does kind of fall apart. And you kind of would like to see this type of main event, the schmas booking, the run-ins, everything be separated out from time to time and maybe uh, give WrestleMania a chance for guys to have the focus a little bit more on them. Although I do think that both Austin and rock uh, performed quite well and, and probably both were elevated by this match. Rory over to you. Yeah. These two were in the ultimate unenviable, enviable, the ultimate unenviable position here. They didn't just have a pay-per-view to save. They had WrestleMania to save. No, Fans had sat through hours of complete dross. The only reason, I mean, this this was this was well and truly a one match card, anyway. So there was added pressure even before the 
very limited amount of entertainment people were given in the previous two and a half hours. So they had that. And I personally think that weighed fairly heavily on their shoulders. I do agree with Eric up to a point that what we got was, I thought it was pretty satisfactory. I'm not going to try to be that cool guy in the corner who turns around and says this main event was bad. It wasn't bad. It really, really wasn't. It was a sturdy, well put together, until the last two minutes, sturdy, well put together, hard fought brawl style main event between two guys who are excellent at that particular style. Austin has effectively re-revolutionized the business by working that way in the last 18 months. And Rock can do it damn well as well. So I have no real no real complaints about the way these two worked the match. I have two major issues with its actual structure. I thought the pacing was rather off here. For example, it was very strange after four minutes of in-the-crowd brawling, Austin being backdropped onto the light uh, the mini lighting rig, that sort of thing. Now we're showing a replay of one of those and instantly Rock hits a rock bottom. And we almost miss it. And it gets a two count. And again, if you want to look at look at it hyper-realistically, you could say, well, yeah, you don't necessarily have to build up to your finishing moves. Now, if this was real, now you'd want to try to hit your big move to get to win whenever you could, right? And if you're twisting my arm, I can believe that. But the way we are programmed to see that the way that wrestling matches are structured... It felt a little bit too left field for me that anybody would do that. And secondly, I suppose we were we were at least expecting this, but it doesn't make it any easier to take all the extra referee stuff. And I just did not. We didn't need it, but we knew it was coming. As soon as Sean did his little spiel, we knew Vince was coming back out and he would try to don the <laughs> the three sizes two small shirt again. We knew we were going there. We knew other refs were going to get beaten up. We drag mankind out there, which I'm going to talk about again in a second. See, unlike Over the Edge 98, where all of the shenanigans played into the match, here I think it overrode it to a degree. Even though, as I say, even though we knew it was coming. I still wanted to be proved wrong that we were going to get Austin versus Rock relatively cleanly and without too much nonsense, Vince and Vince aside. Sadly, we didn't get that for the last two or three minutes. And just to bring it back to the competitors again, just for one second, we talked on the show last year that we said that Austin versus Michaels was about as good as it could be given the limitations the two guys had with their severe injuries. This, in terms of the wrestling abilities of the guys, I suppose, was the same. But I didn't need it to be pointed out to the nth degree where it was so specific. If you were to watch the finishing sequences of WrestleMania 14 and WrestleMania 15, they're identical. Yeah. Austin goes for his finisher. It's blocked. The other guy goes for his. Austin turns him around, hits the stunner. And it's moments like that where I just... I do not worry, but I furrow my brow about Austin once or twice. Apparently, I should say, he was not very pleased with this match. I think I and all of us liked it a bit more than he did, by all accounts. He thinks he could have done a whole lot better out there. I'd like to see him do a whole lot better. We, we, I mean, I don't think he's going to have a Matt Classic again. I think those years of 
along behind him, especially with his neck injuries and the way he has perfected the brawling style. But this was not one of his favourite matches. I did feel like we've seen it all before. The Austin stuff, even Vince doing his sad face, getting stomped down at the end. It's all very familiar. This has been a great feud, but I feel like we've been there. We've done that. It's happened better in the past, you know? One thing, of course, you must bear in mind. I hinted at this earlier. WrestleMania, it's in, for many fans, it's the only pay-per-view they get through the year. And, they, and indeed, for a few casual, it's the only wrestling event of any kind they watch during the year. Like Nobody could call me an expert on horse racing, but I always watch the Grand National. I always bet on the Grand National. I always lose on the Grand National. But moving on, there are people who just watch WrestleMania. So they will need to see some sort of stuff where Vince is doing his best to screw Austin. Austin gets the better of him. Vince looks very sad and then gets doused in beer afterwards. I understand that. Uh, when you've gone to the... When you've gone to the very end of Vince being humiliated, which we saw on Raw when I played him the sound for that, uh, played him the sound a bit earlier of him swimming in a beer bath. You can't go much further than that anyway. And to first them, they didn't try, but what they gave us just felt a little bit by the, again, expression, I've used it too often today, but it's true, by the numbers, a bit rote. Oh, Vince is, you know, the evil Machiavellian, Machiavellian villain. Oh, Austin's got the better of him. He's going to celebrate at the end. Poor Vince foiled again. I feel like we've seen this almost one too many times now. Again, once more, I should be careful what I wish. Judged on where Vince seems to be going the next day on Raw. But I won't go as far to say people phoned it in. I won't go as far to say, again, this was bad. It was not bad. <laughs> easily, easily the best thing on the card. And because it was a Mania main event with a satisfying ending, Still well worth checking out, but uh, it felt like it felt like a Big Mac to me. You know, you see the advert for the Big Mac on the billboard, but it's never quite the same when you open up the wrapper. That's what we got here, I'm afraid. I did enjoy this match, and it was comfortably streets ahead of anything else on the show. It was on another planet to the rest of the card. I do feel like it was neither of these two's best performance. I've, we, within the last 12 months, we've seen them have better matches against other guys. Uh, namely, both of them have had, and I mean, there's a common denominator here, that's very clear, but both of them have had much better matches of this style with Mankind. Uh, Austin's had better main event matches with Mankind than this match. And The Rocks had better main event matches with Mankind than this match. And when the main event of every pay-per-view is a walking brawl and not the comedy hardcore title version, but the Stone Cold Steve Austin main event WWF version, and you've had that for pay-per-view after pay-per-view after pay-per-view, and you get to WrestleMania and you're very invested and you get a good walking brawl, but by no means a great walking brawl, I wasn't entirely satisfied, but I, uh, again, much like you, Rory, I would never dream of saying that this was bad. It was good. It was. But I did feel that it didn't reach its potential. But then subjectively now, looking at it and my review of the whole show, by the time I get to this main event, 
I'm in a pretty shit mood. Like, I've been really bored. I've been angry. I've been aghast at this show. And maybe this was better than I think because I was just, I was ready to turn it off. And even though this was really good, maybe I only thought it was all right. I don't know. I don't really have anything bad to say about it. The referee stuff's completely illogical in terms of when you think about it, it's just stupid. Um, But it just annoys me in that it's no DQ. We don't need to have a single ref bump in this match and you can do everything else. Vince can just come in and start stomping on it. Like you don't need that. Mankind didn't like physically do much apart from throw Vince out the ring. He didn't attack the rock at all. Like you could just do exactly this match except one referee's in the ring the whole time. Vince comes in and starts stomping on Austin with the rock and mankind runs in and tosses Vince out the ring and maybe puts him in the mandible claw on the outside. Then you have the exact finish you do but the original referee counts the pin and it isn't quite as when you put fault into it, it isn't offensive, but I don't know. Maybe I'm being picky because I was in a bad mood by the time I got to this point of the show. Why on earth were you in a bad mood, Chris? <laughs> we think why? No. There's no. a couple more things before we close out on main. You just throw these one out uh, fairly quickly. One, you... <laughs> Nobody loves him more than I do, but I'm not sure we really needed mankind out here. He's didn't he have his moment two months ago? Always forget about the whole referee stuff. Well, I'd gladly forget about it. Uh, I would have maybe just preferred to see Austin out there on his own, and that includes celebrating with Earl Hebner as well, for that matter. Yeah, do do, do that. Do that off camera. Do that off camera. You know, this is what. Let's face it. This is Austin's been trying to get this belt now for six months. Have just, just have him be the pure focus. And also while we're talking about it, I'll throw this one out, guys. What do we think now as Austin, as champion? What's uh, what's going to happen next? Who is major challenger going to be? Should he be the champion right now? Well, the answer is yes to that question, but what do you think? I think um, I think they're going to probably go back to the Rock. Looks like they it. have Looks like it. And I don't really know after that. Because you can't just keep doing Austin Rock. Um, you can't really do Austin Foley because you've done that. Austin Undertaker is always a bad idea. Although that's probably going to be where it goes. I mean, what what else will you do with the Undertaker other than eventually put him in a main event role? Because he's pointless to be wrestling. His character can exist without wrestling. So if he's not wrestling for the title and trying to unify all of that with his, you know, spooky, spooky group, then I don't know. I don't know where this goes. It's interesting. They're going to have to reheat up Paul White or maybe Hotshot Hunter, God forbid. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is what I was saying earlier. They, they need heels because... They can go back to the rock and yeah, like you both say, it looks like they're going that way. He's not gonna be a heel forever, in my book anyway. If I'm if I had any say in the matter, he wouldn't be a heel forever. Um 
and there's no one else really, which is why it's probably going to be Taker. But I don't want to see that program. It's either, depending on how you look at it, it's either a blessing or a curse that Austin is now. If we have this rematch with The Rock, is where the mood music seems to be. When that's out the way and he beats him again, which I'm pretty certain he will, at least then that should open up Austin going somewhere else. I mean, the Vince stuff has to be done now, right? At, at least for the time being. I don't see where they can pick that back up. If he defeats Rock at the next pay per view or whenever, he gets two pinfall wins over him. Austin now needs a brand new challenger, and I think I'm ready for that. But who, like, who do you? Who, Russell, I mean, who? I mean, Helms, Helmsley's not ready for that role yet. No, no, he's not. No, no, no way. Right. I wouldn't. Even on a B pay per view, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go Austin Helmsley right now. I think Helms will be completely out of his depth. And and if if Hunter is ever going to get there, the way to do it is to not put him in in now before he's ready on a B pay per view against Austin, sure, and have yeah. him be shown up as not ready. I agree if he, with that. If he's ever going to get there, he needs to not do it now. He needs to wait till he's credible and ready. So that's a ter- that, that would be a terrible idea. I, I Undertaker, uh, no, I, I wouldn't go face v face. Foley. It looks like Taker's the only. Oh, Taker, God forbid, the only guy left, isn't he? Yeah. I can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> More nooses. More news. Yeah, we need at least three for us. Right. Um, with that all in the books, Eric, I'll come to you first. Please inform me your overall thoughts on this pay-per-view, like I don't already know, and a score rating out of 10. There's no reason to rehash it. Um, very, very little good on this show. And even even after thinking about it, I think that what appeared to be good on this show was probably objectively average and just made to appear, appear good uh, against what it was uh, up uh, what, versus what it was up against if I can say that properly so yeah not sure and the other thing is this was a Wrestlemania we're going to rate certain shows higher than others or give them certain weight or have higher expectations give TV more credit and give pay-per-views less credit then I think Wrestlemania has the highest burden of any of those shows and this was just an unforgivable show there's very little good on it except for an end and except for the apparent attempt to advance certain storylines so i think i think a two out of ten accurately reflects what this show should be remembered as as a wrestlemania Rory, when things are known inherently as bad and time passes on them and it's handed down from generation to generation. Uh, people turn around and say, yeah, I've heard terrible things about this one, but it can't be that bad, can it? For example, Led Zeppelin at Live Aid. Bring, I'd bring that up to my father, and he would give me like almost thousand-yard stare whenever I mentioned it to him. The world's biggest Led Zeppelin fan, and he would never, ever talk about it. And so recently, I actually fired up a copy of the tape. I thought, you know what? This is known historically as being one of the worst gigs ever, but come on, it was Led Zeppelin reforming after five years. It, it really can't be that bad. And then you sit down and you watch it, and they delay their performance for 30 seconds because the monitor mix isn't working. And then Robert Plant can't hit the high notes on rock and roll. And Jimmy Page's guitar goes wildly out of tune during a whole lot of love. 
and for the eight minutes of Stairway to Heaven, Phil Collins is just clearly randomly bashing at the drums as if he's never heard this song before. Phil Collins on stage for what is now being called the Led Zeppelin Reunion. This is the one that a lot of people have been waiting for. Uh, I'm not going to give away the whole set, but I will tell you this. That's rock and roll, and they're doing Stairway. Let's go to the stage. And you think, yeah, okay, that was an absolute fucking disaster. And it's the same with WrestleMania 15 as well. So if you were listening to this show in 14 years' time, and you think, oh, everybody ripped WrestleMania 15, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to try and formulate my own opinion. Just listen to our two out of ten and have done with it for your own safety and sanity. Agree with both of you. It's as bad as we all said. Two out of ten. Perfectly fair. The post-mania edition of Raw opens with Austin coming out to a huge ovation. He gives Vince two hours to get him his smoking skull belt back or his ass is his. Our opening match sees Tori and Ivory defeat Sable and Jackie after Sable took out her partner. In an angle that ran through the whole episode, we had the abduction of Stephanie McMahon, Vince's daughter, at the hands of The Undertaker and the Ministry. X-Pac is out for a promo. He says he came back one year ago tonight because a friend reached out for help to hold DX together. They kicked ass for a year straight, but that all changed last night. X-Pac says tonight, Hunter is the hunted, his ass is grass, and X-Pac is going to smoke it. Undertaker calls Vince to taunt him, telling him Steph is sugar, spice, and everything nice. Vince orders Ken to help find Steph. The Big Show squashes Test in a quick match after a chokeslam. Hardcore Holly retains the hardcore title against Dr. Death after interference from Al Snow. Rock beats Billy Gunn after a rock bottom and corporate elbow. Shamrock defeated Gangrel via submission with the ankle lock. Throughout the match, Ken was screaming at Gangrel, demanding to know where Steph is. He refuses to let go of the hold after the match until the brood attacks. The blood falls on Shamrock, and Shamrock locks Christian in an ankle lock, who eventually tells him she is in the basement. Goldust defeated Road Dog to win the IC title after Blue Mini hits Rhodey with the belt, and Goldust follows with the curtain call. Shamrock finds Steph in the basement, crying, and helps her away, takes her to bits. Jarrett and Owen defeat the Legion of Doom after distraction from Deborah, allow Double J to hit a guitar shot to Animal. Vince tells Shane to just give Austin his belt. He leaves to take Steph home. Shane has another plan and wants The Rock to be involved. X-Pac vs Triple H ends in a DQ after China hits X-Pac with a clothesline. Hunter and China beat on X-Pac but out comes Kane. Shane goes after Kane but is laid out. China holds Kane off briefly which allows Hunter to nail Kane with a chair. Kane chases Hunter and China away. Shane calls out Austin telling him his belt is around The Rock's waist. Rock cuts a promo on Austin until Austin runs down and they brawl. Shane tries to help The Rock but eats a stunner. The corporation all run down to beat on Austin until Big Show makes the save. I got your precious little meal ticket and I can snap her like a twig. So what it is... I want you to come out here right now before I snap her head right off her shoulders. This is me. I go. Come along. I, I can do this. You stay with Stephanie. Just stay with Stephanie and keep an eye on her. 
There's security out here. You'll be safe. Just stay right here. King The Undertaker hanged a man last night at Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania. We saw what he could do. What the hell can he do now? Uh, I don't know, but this... Mr. McMahon heading into the arena, folks. Well, I guess he doesn't care that much for you, does he? Yes, he does. He's on his way. Don't hurt her. The Undertaker with her hand around Sable's throat. The Undertaker calling Sable Mr. McMahon's meal ticket. How can he do this? Lately, The Undertaker's been doing whatever he's wanted to do. Psychological mind games with that man, okay. Mr. McMahon. Okay, he's there, let her go. What kind of man are you? What's he doing? Stephanie. What's he, wait a minute. It's nice to see. Mr. McMahon realized that Stephanie hits double. Well, wait a minute. What? Let's just see what he really thinks of his personal assets. Stephanie! What's happened? It's like Mr. McMahon Stephanie. looked around and realized something and Stephanie. now he's running to the back. Stephanie! So before we wrap up our 200th show, we have the small matter of the Raw the night after WrestleMania. The show opened with Austin coming out to a ridiculous ovation, and he admits that The Rock gave him one hell of a match the night before. He calls out Vince, saying that maybe this belt wasn't worth all the aggravation and that he's going to relinquish it. Vince comes down very warily, but eventually enters the ring. Austin hands Vince the belt, and Vince gloats, saying that he knew that Austin was going to crack under the pressure. Vince goes to leave, but Austin says that, wait, it's not that easy. Austin says that while he has given up this belt in particular, he's not giving up the WWF Championship. He wants his own belt back, the belt that Vince stole at Breakdown last year. Austin, who cannot lay a hand on Vince without being provoked, shows footage of Vince provoking him and promises that if Vince hasn't given Austin his belt back within two hours, his ass belongs to Austin. Vince hits Austin with the belt and runs away. Rory, uh, come to you first. So this is the open the night after. Austin, ridiculous pop. What do you make of this segment for sort of setting up? In a way, it's like a reset show, isn't it, the night after Mania? We, we're finding out where we're going. And where we're going is Austin wants his old belt back from last year. Well, I'll give them credit for continuity. We talk a lot how... As viewers, we watch things, especially for this program, extremely closely, and we get rather uppity when they're forgotten about. I can't say that here, but I've pretty much forgotten about the whole situation with the smoking skull belt and Vince not being allowed to, you know, the Vince Austin provocation thing. They mentioned all of it, and I've well played. I can't 
criticise them for overlooking that particular storyline. It just, I couldn't shake the fact that it was, they, listen, it's the day after WrestleMania. They had to get Austin on this show somehow and for some reason. They couldn't leave him off, but it's as if they couldn't really think, it goes back to what we were saying just a few minutes ago, we're not sure who his next challenger is realistically going to be. They probably don't really know that yet. So they came up with a sort of show-long angle about him getting his original belt back. It's something. It's 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 plausible. I, I, I'm not... Again, much like with the match at WrestleMania 15, the main event match, I'm not saying it was bad. It wasn't. It just felt a bit tacked on as if they'd only come up with the idea say 30 minutes before they went up on air that was if the wrestlemania party went into the very wee small hours and into the next afternoon continuity thumbs up everything else uh, possibly not because i don't i don't really think it's that important for austin that he just wants his smoking skull belt back it, it, again just like, so many storylines in the fed these days just too much of a stretch and wasn't hot enough coming out of mania for me Eric, what did you make of the open? I don't really mind it as like an epilogue to the McMahon-Austin feud, kind of closing the book. This is the scene you get after the credits roll in a movie or something where they're just kind of wrapping up a side story or reminding the, the audience of something, of another time that the the bad guy slide at the good guy and the good guy gets another slice of revenge. But if it's just a vehicle to lead to another year of McMahon versus Austin that I'm less excited about as a, as a, as a storyline arc to be contained within a single episode of raw or two in order to wrap up the McMahon Austin arc overall for a, a good long while, then it's fine. And I think that's more likely what we're getting as at this point through the rest of the night, the, the focus of the show very much switched away from Austin. Um, later in the show, uh, other things happened by this point, but Vince just told Shane, I'll just give Austin his belt back. Like it, it didn't matter to him. Vince had other things on his mind. Just as quick, just popping Chris, I, I do love shoot comments that aren't supposed to be shoot comments. And when you have Vince McMahon there in character saying, Yeah, that's it, because of what you're going to say now, that's it, we're going home. Just give him his belt. Now, that again just suggested to me that they really didn't think too closely about this one. No, exactly. And in a way, this is a very minor detail, but it's why I wanted to discuss it, because how long must they have known that they wanted to do Rock and Austin at Mania? And I feel like you must go into that knowing that Austin's, one, going to leave with the belt, but two, you've got TV the next day, so you better damn have a plan. Yeah, and I feel like they just didn't because it. They, I mean, we're about to talk about what else happened on this show, but in terms of Austin's involvement, that you have this like open and he gets a ridiculous ovation when he comes out. Like the crowd just love this guy. We get the stuff about his belt, and then an hour and a half later, Vince is like, "I'll just give it to him. I don't care." And it's like, well. <sighs> I felt very underwhelmed. But we do have quite a big story to talk about here, as we have the abduction 
of Stephanie McMahon. So earlier in the month, uh, Undertaker threatened Vince with the abduction of her. Her said that he was watching her and uh, made, yeah, made threats against Vince and his family. During this show, Vince had told his cronies to keep watch over Stephanie, but during the episode, she was abducted by The Undertaker and the Ministry. Uh, we had a segment a bit later where The Undertaker was taunting Vince and Shane over the phone. He called Steph sugar and spice and everything nice. Vince uh, was in tears at one point in the show, completely dismayed. Uh, he sent Shamrock after Steph to try and find her. Eventually, Shamrock does find her in the basement. She's there, traumatised and crying uh, by the ordeal that The Undertaker has put her through. And Vince leaves with his daughter, which is where he makes the comment as to just give Austin his belt. Right. Okay. Abduction. Rory, what are we making of, of this? Hanging and abduction okay i think i need to make sure i send this one out when i release this podcast with a with a warning or five <laughs> i'm looking forward to phil moshnick's review of this particular podcast anyway i'm surprised he's been <laughs> quiet on this one i mean abduction i mean it it gets to the stage or i think it's got beyond the stage to be perfectly honest with you where suspension of disbelief becomes completely and utterly impossible i mean if you're the owner of a company. Just forget about The Undertaker, his magical powers. Just forget about that just for a second. If you're the owner of a company and one of your employees, who The Undertaker is, in the storyline, he's still Vincent Mann's employee, abducts your daughter. You know, what the fuck do you think you're going to do? You know, you're going to hang, pun intended, hang, draw, and quarter that man. Or you're going to call the police. You know? Which, again, they wrote into the storyline that Vince didn't think the police should be called, which was just fucking dumb. I regularly, some might say too regularly, pull up the quality or lack of, of acting in these particular skits. But, as I'll say, if you make your bed, you have to lie in it. If you are going to lay on thick this heavy soap opera stuff, where you're going backstage after every two-minute match for yet more chapters in this story. You know, the kind of thing you would be watching on some on satellite channel 289 at 3am on a Wednesday morning. If that's what you're going to do, then you better make sure you do it as well as you possibly can. Yeah, Storyline, plot absolutely full of holes. There's no point trying to break it down now. You've got Stephanie, who I should say is actually Vince McMahon's, no, Vince McMahon's daughter. I saw some some things online a couple of days ago. Some people, it's, it's an actress playing her, but no, it is actually played by his real life, his real life daughter Stephanie. Not the first time she's been on screen, by the way. Those of you who've been a fan even before we came along, guess pro wrestling did not begin in August 1993. Might remember a very young Stephanie McMahon in a skit with Rowdy Roddy Piper back in the mid 80s. If I can find a clip, I'll play it in for you. My goodness, do you you see? I I've got a whole bunch of nice candy for you. What are those, Mr. Piper? Those, those, are, those are candy apples. Those are, those are giant candy apples. That's what those are. Why are they so big? Big apples because I'm such a wonderful person. And... So not the first time we've seen her, but uh, this is the first time we've seen her supposedly abducted, dumped in a basement with her mascara running. It's leading to one of either two things. Or maybe, maybe both things. Again, as we 
suggested with horror earlier. Austin versus Undertaker four, and I still don't think they can get it done in the ring. They've had too many chances. They failed them all, in my opinion. And Vince McMahon, even if he isn't outright turning face, there's no doubt at all that he is, as you rightly said earlier, Chris, the sympathetic person in this. Now, his house is under siege. His daughter is being abducted. Regardless of who his character is, what he's done over the last 18 months, he is meant to be the person we feel sorry for, the empathy for in this particular battle. And I just don't think Vince McMahon is somebody people really, the, the character is somebody people really want to get behind. No. <clears throat> people love to hate him because he's just brilliant at being hated. And now he's playing the father of the guy who's been tied to the railway tracks. He doesn't know anybody who can help untie. It's, it's not pro wrestling. It's not pro wrestling. I've, Said it last month, I feel as long as Vince Russo is in charge of this psychic Ed Ferrara and the big Vince obviously signing it off, I might be saying this every time I'm on a WWF show. This is entertainment, pal. Of course it is. But we're going so far beyond the boundaries of pro wrestling now. It's, 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 it's almost not funny. Well, it isn't funny. It's not supposed to be funny. But it's just not entertaining in a way. I... I can't believe that anybody would allow an abduction to take place on live television. You've got to buy in for so much as a pro wrestling fan, but I just can't, I cannot accept this. I'm sorry. I can't accept it. Eric, what do you make of the whole thing? Uh, I'm particularly interested in your opinion as it's the undertaker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, compared to a guy getting murdered, it was pretty tame. <laughs> So I guess after that, I don't know why any of us are surprised about anything. I think I've reached the point where one realizes that you just kind of have to either accept what it is for what it is, because it's not like Undertaker hasn't been doing stuff like this for a couple of years now. Um, I, just take it or leave it. It's not, it's not going to be Dallas. It's not going to be... Minneapolis. It's not going to be Crockett. It's something completely different that is still common in that it's called wrestling. But yeah, this is just something completely out of the bounds of what you would expect when you turn on, you know, the wrestling show at 6.05. So I think it just kind of is what it is. And hopefully it's just as entertaining as whatever it can be Rory you said um, something that really stuck out to me in that you said uh, you called Vince like the guy whose daughter is tied to the train tracks and he hasn't got anyone to help him it going forward like what can Vince do like in storyline like what how do you work like how does vince battle this like i don't know where they're gonna go like austin needs opponents but like who's gonna fight the undertaker for vince That's i don't know I mean. he's, he's he's his character is 
burnt all of his bridges. No one's coming back to help Vince now, are they? Unless, you, what... count, unless you count the corporation, but... Well, this is what I mean. Like, so we were all talking about Austin's next opponent after potentially The Rock again. And we all said The Undertaker is the logical choice. If The Undertaker's got this, like, hideously personal feud with Vince McMahon, he's abducting Stephanie and stuff. Does it really make sense to then match up Austin versus Taker, where you've got Austin and Vince potentially on the same side? Like, that just sounds like all kinds of wrong. Like, not what I would do with Austin at all. Align him, even if it's just like against a common enemy. Like, they're not like now best friends, but <sighs> it just sounds wrong to me. I don't know but you too like the undertaker makes sense on paper but then you pit him so directly against vince then how do you also do that with him v austin you just yeah, can't yeah you can't you, you can't put austin in there there's, there's no no amount of whitewashing is going to make you believe that so then but what are you left with you're left with you're you left turn... with taker going through the corporation which are a heel stable themselves to get on no vince at summers oh god it's, it's horrible horrifying. this is what i mean like they've come out of mania and i think they've really put themselves into a couple of corners here like i don't think austin's got a very clear path for the next six months i don't think vince has and if both of their paths run through undertaker then they're going to be aligned against the common enemy which is just the worst idea i don't know i i come out of wrestlemania i've come out of march very wary of where 1999 is going to take us which is a shame because although i didn't enjoy the pay-per-view too much last month um so far it's been a good year like uh storyline and 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 just moment wise more than anything really um but now i look at sort of storylines and and the logic behind them stuff that i care about as a fan i want my storylines to make sense and whether that means i prefer a simpler storyline as opposed to murder and abduction then yeah that's me but i look at this now and i think if I'm mapping out the next six months just with the cards they've dealt me, but I want everything to make sense, I find it really difficult. But on that note, unless uh, anyone has anything else to add, I think we've come to the end of our 200th episode. I think we, we are <laughs> appropriately perplexed almost like we've set the reset button we've done it we've got through 200 episodes and it culminated in wrestlemania 50. it was not <laughs> worth wait rory uh thank you as always for being on the show and all of your insightful comments A pleasure to be here chris on this celebratory occasion show 200 fantastic <laughs> pay-per-view one of those statements is true one I shouldn't feel so deflated after show 200, but I do. Um, Eric, uh, thank you as always for the excellent analysis and contributions. I must feel guilty we were so negative. I mean, usually we have some things to say, but like, God, the 
you know, when opportunities aren't there, they're just not there. So sorry. We'll, be, still, we'll, be, we'll, we'll be funnier next month. I mean, I, I've had a blast reviewing all this stuff. It just so happens that all of it was garbage. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you both uh, for being uh, on the show as always and, and keeping me slightly sane as I uh, try and get through all of these reviews. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for sticking with us and this podcast for 200 episodes. 200 episode back catalogue and we're not going anywhere just yet so here's to the next 200 and uh i hope that genuinely the the 400th episode is has a better show to review i wonder what episode 400 will be just uh just jumping ahead uh talk Uh, amongst yourselves i'll try to work out the maths what it would actually be all right, I'll, I'll do some plugs while, okay. while while you do some maths. So, dear listener, if you would like to say a thanks to us for all the time and effort we put into bringing you the free volumes of this show every month, then you can do so at patreon.com slash wrestling20 years ago, or wrestling20yrs, one of the two. Uh, <laughs> um, there for... $1 a month, you can get early access to all our shows, as and when they are ready, sometimes earlier in the month. And for $5 a month, you will get all of our bonus content. Uh, so we record bonus episodes out of timeline sometimes. Uh, we have all the music reviews done with Chris, and Eric's been mm-hmm. on a few of those. So there's loads of bonus content for you to check out, check out there for 5 bucks a month. Just as a little thanks to us, and you get yourself some bonus content chucked in as well. But as always, the promise the three main volumes will always be free. They will always be with you at the end of every month to bring you all the coverage. Rory, shall I keep going? Keep going. <laughs> keep going. Okay. Um, I've plugged the Patreon. You can check us out on Facebook, but I'm sure you probably know that if you're listening to the show. And also at Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. You haven't plugged your Twitter, Eric. There you go. There's some content eric you're on twitter it would make sense that the wrestlemania show would run long yes at <laughs> modern day lawyer modern day lawyer on twitter and, and, and rory i you're also on twitter but you're also doing maths so... don't interrupt me no. planet's drop uv don't interrupt me there we go planet's drop uv and <laughs> you can check me out on twitter dear listener at chris white 14 and Ah, fuck. (laughs) Okay, this is very, very, very quick calculations. If you carry on and then you can edit it out and make it all like No no, no one will know. Artistic integrity and all that. If we do TNA as well. Fuck's sake. I know. TNA (laughs) weekly pay-per-view. I think show 400 will be somewhere around... Late 06, early 07. Really? That far? Because it's probably going to be... Uh, that's if we do... Uh, no, that's in Ring of Honor as well. Oh, Christ. Because there are some people out there who want us to do, in the future, want us to do TNA and Ring of Honor and fucking CZW. Well, that's Bob Colling. He's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing one-man shows for that one. He doesn't know this yet. Um, Christ. Um... 06 you say no i think that's completely wrong actually i think my maths i think my maths uh 
somebody somebody listening to this show is going to tell us somebody's going to going to tweet in or facebook in somebody's going to tell us aren't they assuming they're still listening to the show after three hours yeah oh, it's uh, just basically destroy the product for those three <laughs> hours yeah <laughs> right um brilliant right so yeah be with us. <laughs> what, 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 what a way to finish i think it's fitting for the show we've reviewed <laughs> to be honest i wouldn't have had it any other way <laughs> so if you are still listening thank you very much and until next time goodbye we're backstage jfk with uh gee whiz a lot of guys here a lot of guys a lot of people, yeah, a lot of laughs. You said that on stage. A lot of people out there are going, uh, did I really just see that? Are you surprised that it finally went off? What? What you just did. <laughs> the, oh, you mean struggling with a monitor mix? <laughs> yeah, I, Everybody. Yeah, I think it was great. <laughs>